Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 74 of the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. My name is John, and joining me today is my co-host, Curtis. Hi. How are you doing today, buddy? How's it going? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I've got a, a little bit hungover, so I'm having actually a Bavarian beer, hair of the dog. And uh, yeah, just enjoying my weekend here in Germany. Had a nice waffle breakfast with my girlfriend. So how are you doing? Oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah. I was just yesterday was uh, mostly just watched the movies. Uh, just, so it's uh, a good Saturday. Yeah, nothing, nothing crazy going on this weekend, which is kind of nice. I went to a friend's baby shower. Very nice. Got to see him and, and his family. So that was uh, that was fun. Um, yeah, I watched a lot of stuff recently. So even on my watch list, I still have stuff for next week. <laughs> I have a big backlog of like I have just too much stuff to talk about. So yeah, me I'll too. Save, uh, <laughs> I'll save more stuff to talk about next week. But uh, yeah, a lot of lot of stuff going on. So today folks is um not we're not doing like a specific topic really like we usually do for our episodes where we talk one movie or or today's more of like a one of those round table discussion episodes so today this is sort of like the coda to our john carpenter watch series i went over the episodes we've done previously of all the episodes that we did spotlighting john carpenter and i've ranked all the movies from the best of the best to the worst of the worst and put them all in order for for and, and based on the score ranking. So what we're going to be doing today, we're going to go through and also comparing to kind of what we have. We're going to be going from bottom all the way to the top, listing out, you know, where did we fall? What movies ranked where? Um, I had the idea of doing this actually like way back when we started the, the watch series. I was kind of like, oh, at the end, we can kind of see what we did. And then about six months into the podcast, Red Letter Media dropped like, the john carpenter rankings like three-part videos and i felt bad because they uh, they they were kind of ripping them off but they actually ripped us off first because we had the idea first, so <laughs> we, we had it first our, we had it first we're actually owed royalties on that that was in my yeah. brain so yeah. you know that holds up in court so yeah. um if you're watching this thinking oh we're just ripping them off no not sure we've actually i had this idea a long time ago so um anyway so we're gonna be doing that that'll be fun um and we've also we also have some questions as well too, kind of related to these movies. So as we talk about them, we can kind of also discuss them, kind of to wrap things up. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So before we uh, actually get into uh, talking about that subject matter, uh, let's go over new entries to our watch list. So Curtis, anything new that you've added that you're going to want to check out soon? Yeah, so I had a few things added to my watch list. Um, <laughs> I can't stand Piers Morgan, but I, I it was recommended to me that uh, he has a series on Netflix that's really good, Killer Woman with Piers Morgan. And I mean, Piers Morgan, for anyone who doesn't know, he's this guy on the, he's a British uh, he's horrible, uh, yeah. anchorman, I guess. And he's just, he likes, he's a kind of an idiot who thinks he's smart. And he always likes to kind of, he's what we would call in Canada a shit disturber, basically. Uh, but I am yeah. in, kind of interested in this series. I mean, he probably has some ulterior motive with it, but uh, I heard it was pretty good. Do um, the women so, kill him at the end? Is that the I, I hope so. Show? I hope so. That would be, that would make it a better movie or docuseries, <laughs> maybe. But <laughs> uh, I think he lives to tell the tale. And uh, I was, I was also, um, I, I'm teaching uh, Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey uh, for my first year class, and I, I, it's a terrible book. I, I hate it. <laughs> I hate Jane Austen. Um, but I did want to watch. Uh, there was an interesting adaptation that came out in the '90s. It's called Ruby in Paradise, starring Ashley Judd. Came out in 1993, and I thought that might be kind of fun to check out too. So, even though I hated the book, maybe the the movie will be better. I'm hoping it because I I didn't like. Uh, I, I really like Clueless too, but I didn't really like the the source material uh, so much for that oh, you one. Don't like Emma. No, not not so much. No, <laughs> so but Have I, you I seen didn't... the Emma movie that came out a few years ago. I oh no, pretty... no, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I uh, I usually like the movies better than the Jane Austen books, though. So maybe maybe it's worth a shot. <laughs> and uh, what else I have? Um, 
well, I heard it was not a very good movie, and I didn't really want to watch it. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but uh, <laughs> I want to check out Solo, a Star Wars story, because uh, apparently there's a really interesting droid in it, too, and I'm looking at kind of human-robot interactions with my research. Yeah. So I added that to my list. And the last one, um, love Bill Nighy, and I love Kazuo Ishiguro. And I found out that Kazuo Ishiguro, uh, he did uh, Claire in the Sun 2001, which is one of my favorite books. Uh, he did uh, he penned the script for Living, which is a uh, it's a kind of a, I guess, remake of uh, um, Akira Kurosawa's uh, Ikiru. And it's about uh, this man played by Bill Nighy who finds out he's terminally ill um it actually sounds kind of boring but i i think bill nye he's really great and i really like kazu ishiguru so i i thought i might check that out that came out last year um what did you add to your watch list yeah on my list i got a few selections uh the first one is uh i feel like a movie that's kind of fallen under the radar like when it came out there's a lot of you know buzz and like on like film twitter and a lot of film circles a lot of buzz um but now no one really talks about it which is kind of odd because it's made by one of the most celebrated directors of all time. It's uh, yeah. The Other Side of the Wind by Orson Welles, which uh, came out actually in 2018. You may be thinking to yourself, 2018, didn't Orson Welles die many decades earlier? That's true. <laughs> but this was actually the last project that Orson Welles was working on in the last years of his life. Um Kind of like an autobiograph, well, more of like a biographical film about like a a fictional director returning to America after many years living away from Hollywood and try to make kind of his comeback film. So obviously very much inspired by what was going on in Wells' own life, um, but he didn't finish the film, he passed away. And the film sat idle for like many, many years. It was unfinished. And then over the last decade or so, there had been kind of processes of starting to work on it, mainly led by, you know, Wells head, the Wells head, Peter Bogdanovich, who was the director that kind of actually directed and worked on this movie and finished it. Um, so I think a year or two before this came out, there was like a extended showing of like what was done so far. And then they finally released it in 2018 on Netflix. So this is actually a Netflix exclusive, which is kind of fun. But um, yeah, I want to check it out. I've heard when it came out, it actually got tons of buzz, tons of awards, never gets mentioned. And it's like, it's a Netflix only release. It's like, it, it should be advertised everywhere on their system on their service but you don't see it at all so i, I really want to check that one out because uh um heard really great things and it's kind of a really interesting story behind how the movie actually got finally kind of finished and released uh which is very cool too um so another one i want to check out another uh streaming service movie uh, i believe this one's called unsane uh another mm -hmm. 2018 film directed by steven soderbergh uh this one's kind of cool i believe it's all shot in an iphone which sort of yeah i was gonna say i think it is, yeah. It. yeah so it's i think claire foy's in it it's about a woman who's uh, involunt involuntarily committed into a mental institution where she's confronted by her greatest fear so it's all shot handheld kind of iphone camera really cool i really like steven soderbergh how he does that like he's He's a very established director. He kind of came in with those like the Sundance kids, but he's like, he, unlike a lot of kind of more mainstream directors that we kind of think of, he's not really that against streaming and digital movies. Like he's actually one of the big directors. He's actually kind of a fan of it. And he's been willing to do like streaming service stuff and, and kind of make it his own thing, which I kind of, I kind of think is cool. Like that, that we have actual big name directors that aren't, just doing it out of a business necessity, but actually mm. seem to actually enjoy it and actually mm. like using these technological things. And I think that's kind of cool. So I heard it's a really good movie. So I want to, I want to check that one out. And then the last one I have it on, on tape on my shelf. Curtis could probably see this. It doesn't make for good radio, but there's a little yellow VHS tape, like right over uh, yeah, there. Yeah. This one is um, a 1991 film called bingo uh, directed by Matthew. Uh. Robbins. Now 
this movie is about a runway circus dog that gets into shenanigans. Now, I don't know how true all this is, but one of the reasons why I wanted to watch this and actually one of the reasons I got it from Quinn is because um, I've heard this movie is very wild. In fact, um, what I've heard off of reviews on Letterboxd is someone says this film in this film, the dog not only gets laid, but goes to jail. So I, oh. I don't <laughs> I assume this was like a Gordy or like, you know, like a kid's kind of like a babe exploitation movie, if you will. I thought it was going to be kind <laughs> of like that, but I don't think it is. Apparently it's got some more wacky stuff going on. It's a little bit edgier. So it's like I kind of want to check dark. it out. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it's wild. I really want to check it. I love the term. I'm going to write that down. Babe exploitation. Cause there really was that wave of like, yeah, Polly, Polly, and uh, Gordy. You know, nobody yeah, watched Gordy. Gordy, right? <laughs> Gordy on tape. Yeah. There's a yeah, whole yeah. wave of like animal personality Airbud, movies. Airbud, that, like, yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, you could kind of, I don't know if Airbud came out before or after, but there was that wave of like animal personality movies that I feel like were all because Babe was such la, a la. big, massive hit. <laughs> Pig exploitation. I don't know what you call it. I'm, if I was a film scholar, that would be my, uh, my academic exploitation. Focus, that's, exploitation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's it for me then. Um, yeah. So I guess we could, I guess then we can get into what we've watched recently, what's on our watch list. So as mentioned, I, I actually were talking before the show, I watched infinity pool. I'll talk about it next week. Cause I've got a lot of stuff that I didn't talk about last week. So uh, Curtis, did you want to share what you've, uh, what you've watched? Yeah. Recently? So I watched a couple things this week. I watched uh, holy spider, which is an Iranian film. They watched in cinema. Uh, this was, uh, this has really been making a lot of ripples in the uh, film world because um, basically it tells the story of a serial killer uh, in, in Mashhad, which is a holy city in, in Iran, and uh, the serial killer goes around killing uh, sex workers. And then he says, you know, Allah wanted me to do it and all this stuff. And then actually um, some of the conservatives in his society actually like, you know, praise him too. And it's quite graphic. They actually show um, some of the women getting killed, like strangled, like, which is wow. almost too much, I think. Um, and basically it's this journalist and she investigates the crimes and because she's a woman and the society uh, it's looking at kind of cultural misogyny. Uh, she gets kind of threatened, and uh, you—it's it, very—it's a feminist film, I would say. You—you you get the feel of what it's like to be a woman, you know, trying to walk home at night, you know, and you get some fucking weirdo, you know, <laughs> on a motorcycle behind you too. And uh, yeah, it, it was pretty graphic. I was actually surprised how graphic it was. It makes you kind of uh, sympathize with the sex workers too. One, the first one they—they they show uh, she has like a, she's taking she's she's doing it because she has to take care of her family too. It's not because you know uh, she's she just enjoys being in the streets, which is also fine, but there's this kind of cultural misogyny too, you know, because they're sex workers, they deserve to die kind of like the Yorkshire Ripper. And, uh, it's a, it's a critique of the, uh, the Islamic Republic too. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've been told it's kind of like the, uh, the film equivalent of, uh, Salman Rushdie's the satanic verses. Um, oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, it was good, but the ending is quite, it's quite a rough film. It's, it's a pretty heavy. And, uh, I think you have to be in a right, good mind to, frame to watch it but i would definitely recommend it so kind of a must see and i also watched uh my, my girlfriend and i are going to cambodia and thailand in march so uh, i'd never been to cambodia and uh it's surprising they don't really teach the about the cambodian genocide in the 70s uh in north america or in europe so much and i, I know about it because i did a lot of reading on it but uh my girlfriend didn't know about it so i said well this is really important that we have to you know know about this history before we go so we watched uh the 1984 is the killing field starring uh john malkovich and uh um some other characters too. I think uh, Dith, the guy who plays Dith Pratt, and I think he got, um, he was actually in the uh, year zero too in the uh, concentration camps. 
so he gives a really amazing performance. And Julian Sands is in it too. He disappeared recently. Um, I think he's still oh, they still right. found yeah. him. Is he still disappeared? He's yeah. He has hair in this movie. He has beautiful blonde hair in this movie. <laughs> he's a little bit balding, I think now. But um, yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's about uh, it it's it's kind of you know it's kind of it's a little bit westernized. Like it's about um this this reporter and he's in Cambodia when the Khmer Rouge takes over in the seventies. And basically, what happened is they took everyone out of the cities. And they wanted to revert to this crazy far right, you know, agrarian state. Um, so they they basically uh, killed like a third of the population or something yeah, too. Anyone who looked communist or believe in yeah, they hated they hated like, intellectuals, so they killed yeah. the, all the smart people, which is really dumb if you think about it. Um, <laughs> and then the the Vietnamese eventually invaded and ended it, you know, too, because I think everyone was so starved there wasn't really much of an army that Pol Pot wanted. So uh, yeah, crazy, crazy uh, authoritarian regimes. Uh, but it's a really good movie and my girlfriend enjoyed it, but it was, again, it was quite heavy. And then I also watched uh, the Banshee, Banshees of Inisherin. So that's another uh, Martin Mc, Mc, McDonough uh, film. And he did uh, last time Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson reunited was in, um, in Bruges. So it's nice to yeah. see them reunite, but it's kind of bittersweet because it's actually about this breakdown of a friendship. It's uh, these two guys living on this remote Irish Island in the, um, during the Irish civil war in the 1920s. And, one of them is a fiddler player, Brandon Gleason, Colm, and he decides that uh, he doesn't want to be friends with uh, his lifelong drinking buddy because he thinks he's boring, <laughs> uh, which is actually, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like a black comedy, but it's also quite it's also quite distressing because you see how emotionally devastated it is. And we yeah. were saying before the movie, I, I just think Brendan Cle- Gleason's character is a, is a piece of shit. But I mean, <laughs> and then like yeah, he get, yeah. it gets more extreme. He like, I mean, I don't think this is a spoiler because you see this in the trailer, but he says, you know, if you don't stop leaving me alone, I'll cut off my fingers. And he actually does. <laughs> and, uh, and then he, Barry uh, Keoghan is also in it too. He's, he played the Joker in um, the Batman and uh, um, um, Colin Farrell's, uh, character his sister is also really good they live together too in this small town and it's all about like the the breakdown the friendship and how things escalate so very shockingly violent um but a very good movie i think you watched it too didn't you yeah i thought it was pretty good i wasn't as high onto it as other people was i think it's had to do more with sort of the uh the moral focus of the characters i didn't really connect with as much but Mm. i found it very relatable like i I found i found at times relating very strongly with patrick and yeah. then at times I also related a lot with Colm, the idea of like wanting to like create something and make something of your life and feel yeah. smart, but inadequate. And I feel like there's a lot of fail yeah. sons out there who well, can relate to the, the kind of performances uh, that you his, put on this, it, with the masks and stuff in his house too. I was thinking about that too. And it's kind of the performances that people put on, you know, to fit into those small towns or the societies too. And then yeah. you realize that, you know, one day you wake up, literally and you realize that you know oh i don't really want to be friends with this person we don't have anything in common and i mean the way he did it i don't agree with obviously but uh, i can understand some some of the aspects behind it and it's a very simple story but it's just really well done i think and it it looks like a, it feels like a play when you watch it in a good way yeah so, i i really enjoyed uh his sister's performance i guess carrie mm, carrie condon she actually got an oscar great, nom, yeah. i think I, I hope she gets more buzz because i thought her her role in the film it was actually probably the most captivating thing i thought was maybe her oh yeah role in the film and kind of her she, juxtaposed she was, pro- she was the probably this she's probably the wisest person in yeah. the whole film because not not only you know her own intellectual she's kind of an intellectual but she's a woman and kind of yeah. where women are expected to fit in the society and yeah kind of and she doesn't fit in and she, and she like, is she doesn't even too. have a space to go drink beer like these guys do yeah you know, to that extent 
And we, we we were saying too, there's kind of a Macbeth influence too. There's this weird kind of lady who dresses in black, and we don't know if she's kind of an unpleasant uh, gossiper or just maybe like a ban an actual banshee. We don't really know. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's an interesting scene where she kind of, uh, you know, she feeds uh, um, Colin Farrell's character this prophecy, and then he rejects it too. So it's kind of like tongue in cheek making fun of Macbeth a little bit. So that was kind mm -hmm. of funny. So I enjoyed that. I did, uh, I know you'll you'll be talking about it too, but I did uh, check out Skinamarink. I think I had some weird stream version. <laughs> um, I liked a lot of the aesthetics. I, I really couldn't get into it. I think I want to watch it on Shudder. You know, like we were saying, it's probably better to watch at midnight on your computer. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, I might give it another shot, I think. Uh, so I think I'll do that when it's on, sh on Shudder, I think in February. And uh, I watched uh, The Lair, which is uh, it was terrible. Uh, is Neil Marshall's new one? I I think Neil Neil Marshall is a really good director. Obviously, The Descent, as we've covered before, it's one of my favorite yeah. movies, and I really like Dog Soldiers. But this new one is is dog shit. <laughs> like oh, it's wow. it's about uh, he starred his wife in it, Charlotte Kirk, and she's she I mean she's gorgeous, but she she's she can't fucking act at all. Uh, and uh, shame. yeah, respect and, for being a good wife guy though, you know. Yeah, I mean it's, it's kind of like cool. Paul W S Anderson, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like a cool like concept because like she, as a female character it's kind of cool she's like this fighter pilot and she crashes in like afghanistan and then um she finds this like russian bunker and they're doing like he, they were doing like human experiments or something in it and uh then the the, the soviet experiments escape and they like take over the attack everyone on this military base but i don't know like i don't know what happened with neil marshall like I mean the the CGI explosions look like dog shit. I mean like nobody can really act. It. I mean it feels like Dog Soldiers written by a twelve year old, and I I just really didn't like it. And even the monster looks kind of derivative. It looks like kind of a the the xenomorph from from Alien. So I yeah. I don't know. It's a hard hard. I saw the poster to... for it, and that's what it looked like. I'm like oh yeah. I'm like well I've seen that before. Yeah <laughs> this yeah this one I I wouldn't recommend. It's on Shutter, but I wouldn't recommend it. And then I uh I had got a free uh itv uh subscription and i've oh. been really interested i've been doing a lot of true crime stuff lately so uh i watched this new tv series it's a two-part series it's called uh the yorkshire ripper the secret murders i'm not really sure what's so secret about them because i think the most of the details for the case have been released but this was a man uh, a horrible human being and he he went around uh in the uh, 70s and early 80s in Yorkshire and he killed a lot of uh, uh well they said it was sex workers at first too because there was a lot of stigma against sex workers but he actually just was a misogynist killer um but it was kind of similar to uh, Jack the Ripper hence the uh, the name but this looks at kind of some of the uh, the victims and the victim stories and i think that's always the better way of approaching true crime so that's worth checking out i think the bbc did one called the Yorkshire Ripper files that one's a bit better but um it's pretty good so I'll, uh, I'm going to finish watching episode two today. What did you uh, watch this week? Yeah, we've been watching, as mentioned again, ever since the holidays, I've had like a backlog. So next week I'll talk about some of the other stuff I've watched more recently, like Infinity Pool. But I did have stuff I watched last week I didn't get a chance to talk about. So um, me and my wife have been watching some TV and we uh, on a whim because I, you know, when I, if I'm going to commit to a show that has seasons, I need like a certain criteria. It needs to be like breezy, not too long. Um, and and British TV is kind of perfect for that because British TV tends to have they go by rather than seasons it's more like series they do kind of like shorter episodes shorter series they tend to be sometimes over a period of years because like it gets all the cast together so I, I've been watching the classic comedy peep show uh, starring uh, Mitchell and Webb kind of the comedy trope who play uh, I guess Mark and Jez kind of like these slacker roommates living in a, a flat in London and Mark sort of um, he works at like an insurance company 
um, he's kind of got some weird complexes going on in his brain. And that what's interesting as a show suggests peep show, it's all filmed kind of like, you know, cam, cam, like cam, cam cord handheld, a lot of like really close zoom ins on characters faces. A lot of it's from your perspective of like, you were in a room with someone, it's all coming from like first person perspectives. And a lot of it is, uh, especially with him and jazz is like their internal monologues. So you kind of hear yeah. what they're saying as they're well, it, it's funny. Cause when you look at like Mitch and web, Mitchell and web, they have like very caricature faces. Like yeah. I think Mitchell has like this big buggy, big buggy eyes, you know? And so it's yeah. kind of fun to see. And I, man, I, I'm obsessed with the show. I think it's super funny. There's definitely some parts to it that, uh, haven't aged all that well but as as you'd expect with any kind of sitcom but um it's it's super fun i would say the first couple episodes it's kind of like a more mundane kind of comedy and then like after episode four it becomes this really wild show where i i guess i would compare it to like it's always sunny in philadelphia like like a uk variant where it's sort of like these characters who are just kind of like terrible guys and like every episode is like weird shit happens, but it's like they kind of always start in the same spot they are. They like these two kind of one guy's kind of like underemployed, one guy works at a kind of a typical corporate whatever job. There's also really some really fun supporting actors. I know uh, the biggest one obviously is Olivia Coleman who plays Sophie, and now she's like a huge superstar. But she she's has a big role in this as one of uh, kind of like Mark's on again, off again kind of love interest and. It's kind of funny because I think the show starts off, you kind of more sympathize with Mark. He's the more normal one. Um, Jazz is kind of this like dirtbag guy who just makes tunes. And then by like the end of season one, I'm like, man, Mark's horrible. I like, I think Jazz might be the more mentally healthy guy. There's a whole episode where Mark like falls in love with his boss. And the whole show episode is basically him grappling with his like, latent bisexuality and then that's like never mentioned again really except whenever he's in con whenever he meets his boss he's like obsessed with them it's super funny the show is a lot of fun um i i read routinely watching it i'm just cackling there was an episode i just saw that um had mark strike up a friendship with this co-worker who's kind of like a you know pretty, pretty he's kind of like an offensive like un-pc co-worker but then he finds that his co-worker is an actual nazi and then like ha- and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> he goes to like a nazi <laughs> gathering with him and he's like taking it way too seriously and he's like uh wait a second is this real <laughs> like are we really doing this and I, I i cracked up it's a really fun show and it's really short the episodes are only like a half an hour so you can really kind of um, bang through it um so i'm really enjoying it. i just watched series one i think we're just about done series two I think there's about six or seven series that they did. So I I, I enjoy watching. It's a lot of fun um, and pretty, a lot of good laughs there. Um, in terms of movie land, what have I watched? Well, I've been watching a few things. Um, my wife really wanted to revisit wife guy. Uh, the, the ring. So the American uh, re- remake, I suppose of the ring kind of um, an interesting historical artifact as a movie, because I think the two thousands, you saw like a lot of changes to the horror landscape in that decade. You saw the rise of like, a lot of like neo slasher remakes of like 60s through 80s canon. So we had like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. We had a whole slew of like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is probably the biggest one that really kind of kicked off all that wave of those type of movies. We also saw the rise of kind of like the torture porn genre of like Saw. And Hostel, yeah. A lot of these movies were themselves kind of inspired by the 90s meta slashes but a lot of it was inspired more by euro horror like french new french extremism and that sort of stuff 9-11 anxiety whatever you want to say but um there was the ring was really kind of the fulcrum for the americanization of all these kind of j-horror influences which had been around for for many years and then when the ring came out that for me as a kid seeing the ring was the first time i was really introduced to 2j horror and 
I always had a really interesting relationship with this movie because I, I grew up, as I mentioned it before, but you know, as a kid, my mom, we watched a lot of scary movies. I watched all of the 80 slashers canon before I was like 12 years old. So I was pretty steeled to like any horror. And then as a kid, I remember my mom renting the DVD of the ring, watching it in my basement in the dark. And that was the only movie that I can even remember where I was too scared to go to sleep. I, something about that movie just like wormed its way into my brain and really it deeply unsettled me. And coming back to this movie, I didn't have the same visceral feeling I did when I was 12, but I think it's still a pretty fun movie. I think it's a really decent remake. Gore Verbinski directs it. I do think there's some parts of the movie that really haven't aged all that well, mainly the fact that the entire movie has this really weird blue-green sheen to it that the whole movie is just like shot with like a blue-green filter. And it looks, it's kind of fun to watch it now because I'm like... I wonder if it, if you if you filmed it more of a straight movie, like kind of with more regular naturalistic colors and 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 lighting, I wonder if it'd actually be a little bit more scarier. Because I I also revisited Ringu, the the Japanese movie, which is a little bit more like that. And I I actually didn't really like Ringu. I'm I'm rewatching it, but I kind of want to rewatch it again after watching this one because I feel like I might actually like Ringu a bit better. Um, but I, I I dug it nonetheless. I think it's still a pretty fun movie. It's got some good um performances in it as well too. Um. I, and I like, you know, I have something about that kind of VHS analog kind of horror. I mean, that we don't really live in that world anymore, but I think there's still something to that kind of uh, aesthetic that I, I think is still deeply unsettling. Um, it's a shame there really hasn't been a really good ring movie, at least yeah. the American side of things since then. Um, even in Japan, like I, I, the Sadako series has become insane. It's kind of there's like five like Sadako versus whatever the girl. <laughs> they probably have them, a whole, a whole like there. 50, 50 mangas for it or something too. I do, I do really like Ringu Zero, like the prequel movie. I think it's actually a lot of fun. But um, I would I, I definitely want to kind of revisit some of those uh, the Japanese series more. But um, yeah, Ring, the Ring is still really pretty pretty fun and really good kind of child performance too by uh by Naomi Watts's kid in the movie as well. Um, so I also watched um, on Shutter. It was it was on my watch list. I think I mentioned it before. So I'm I'm really trying to actively now go through the bottom of my watch list stuff that I said I would watch in like July last year. So I'm like really trying to like you know comb my way through it. One of those films was a movie called Intruder, which came out in 1989. Um, this one it was really fun. It was directed uh, by uh, I believe Scott Spears. I want to say. Um, I'd probably, oh, Scott Spiegel, who was sort of like a Sam Raimi collaborator and Sam Raimi and his brother are actually a star in this movie. So it's a very, you know, and then Bruce Campbell also has a role. So it's kind of the Raimi crew made this movie. Um, it takes place at an overnight supermarket. Yeah, um, the grocery shift. store one. Yeah, yeah where uh, the owner says, you know, this is the last shift, like the grocery store is actually going to close down. And before that, there's this kind of like shitty ex-boyfriend who shows up and he and he gets in like an argument with his girlfriend punches her and then all the staff are trying to stop him and he's just like <laughs> kicking the shit out of all of them and i was i was dying laughing because i'm like this guy is just there's like four men holding him down and he's just throwing them away and like and he kind of disappears and so the rest of the movie strange murders and things start to happen so you're you know it becomes very disturbing and uh it's 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 sort of in the vein of like a Raimi flick and even his his influences like a Peter Jackson where there's actually a lot of really good gore effects, really uh, schlocky gore. And um, I really enjoyed it. You know, I used to work at a grocery store myself. I didn't work in a kind of a clerk stock role, but I worked I worked customer service. So I worked as a cashier friend and guy. But I really enjoyed seeing kind of life in a grocery store in like the 80s. And I like seeing all the products on the shelves. Like you see like all the all the products were like straight up product placement you'd see in, uh, in a regular store. So I was actually kind of surprised they had all these like original stuff done like that. But I really enjoyed it. It was very goopy, very gory, um, pretty fun and, and silly. 
kind of funny though the movie poster actually spoils the the killer so if you see the movie poster um you'll actually know who the killer is which is kind of odd i didn't include him when i when i saw it but then after i watched the movie i saw the poster i'm like yeah you, you that's the guy so um maybe if you're gonna watch it like don't look at the poster or click it really quickly i don't know but i mean or maybe just don't care but I, I thought it was actually really fun i really i really enjoyed the movie it was a really good experience and very low budget like they're getting a lot of bang for their buck with that with that movie um, another one I watched, as mentioned, Curtis mentioned Skin and Marink. Um, I went to the theater uh, last week and saw it. Very excited. A movie that's kind of had a really big kind of buzz over the last uh, the last little while. Um, I, I believe actually it's theatrical run. It actually made like something like over a million dollars, which is which is pretty impressive. Um, I think it made close to a million over its opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Kind of a little bit of a word of mouth movie. So Skin and Marink, directed by Kyle Edward yeah. Ball, who's a, a Canadian filmmaker. It's actually an it's a I believe it's an adaptation of of his original short film, A Skin of Marink. So it's sort of like yeah, because he had a whole uh, bunch of short films. I think to heck and stuff. Yeah, he he did this as like a short film, and then it was later expanded now as a feature film. This actually released. Um, the first time I heard about this movie was it got a release last year at Fantasia Fest, and so when people saw it there, it had a huge huge buzz, and so very eagerly anticipating this movie. This also just got uh, in the weeks prior got announced that it's getting dis- exclusive distribution or streaming distribution on shutter. So it's going to come out on shutter. I believe now. And like, I think when this drops probably within two days. Um, so it's going to have a, a streaming release. Um, this movie is about uh, two children, mainly the focus of the young boy, but also the, his, his sister, these two kids that wake up in the middle of the night uh, to find kind of strange things happening. And, you know, at first, you know, it's typical kid stuff. You wake up, you hear a weird sound, you get up and, you know, it, 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 it feels like it's shot digitally, but it, it it's layered with like kind of like film grain and texture. It's all done in a way that gives it the feeling of like watching like a home video like recorded on tape. And it's all shot in like houses with like gray carpeting and like uh, and stucco ceilings like the one I have above my head right now. Like it feels <laughs> very much like a typical 90s suburban Canadian house that you'd have grown like that we grew up in. And so it, it definitely and it takes place in 1995. And it looks, so, it looks like a lot of those like PS1 aesthetic kind of video games too, like the puppet combo and like the itch, yeah, itch exactly. video games. Yeah, the way it has a lot of like red and blue, like kind of lightings like that. It's not filmed during daytime. We're not getting like the full colors. We're getting a lot of like dark shots filmed through cameras, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so they wake up and, and weird stuff starts to happen. And then they wake up and then all of a sudden their father's gone. And then all of a sudden they start to notice like things in the house are starting to change. And it's, uh, I don't want to spoil too much from there, but I was really deeply unnerved watching this movie and watching the theater was a blast. There's some really big scares that happen and the film really does a good job at kind of, I I saw some people who were like, I saw like someone had juxtaposed two reviews where one person was like, you know, skin marine got into my skull, my soul. I stared at Gabe crying in tears. And then another review is like, bro, it's just staring at the wall for an hour. Who cares? So, you know, you might fall into one camp or the other. I definitely fell more. It's very polarizing. Yeah. I think, the film, what I really liked is that it is, it does have a lot of scenes where it really just, you really have to stare into the abyss and, you know, because it has that film analog grain, you start to almost like see shapes materializing. And I'm, I'd be actually really interested to revisit this movie kind of like with, um, with ghost watch where even to this day, people are like, you know, spot the ghosts that appear in the frame. And, and I, I wonder if we're going to get that with this movie, how much of it was intentional shapes, how much of it is just people's imagination. But I, 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 I thought the movie was pretty good. And then I slept on it. And then I was even more scared about it. And then I read a really great review on Letterboxd by Esther Rosenfield, who looked at the movie more from the angle of like, 
of 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 abuse in the home and like it clarified so many things for me of the of the story itself and after reading that review i'm like this movie i really want to rewatch it because like there's something really fucked up about the kind of subtext of this movie um i don't want to spoil too much but like like I was reading, I, I watched the movie and there was parts of it I didn't really understand. So I, I read the whole, I went home with my wife and I was on IMDb reading the, the plot summary, which is like literally like point by point, the whole story and reading it out. It was like, it was like, I was reading like one of these like no sleep stories. I'm like, this is actually really fucked up. Like <laughs> I was reading it and it really clarified like how fucked up the movie is. So I would say if you really like to me, I, I when I was a child, one of the most impactful movies I ever saw was the Blair Witch Project. I watched it on TV the year it came out. And then I, I watched it a week before I had a, a fall camping trip with the, with the Boy Scouts. And it was one of the most terrifying things that I ever seen in my life. And no movie really felt like I haven't yet to really see a movie that really reminded me of the Blair Witch, not just in how it scared me, but just kind of the aspect, yeah, the affect of what it's doing. Skin and Marink is the first movie that really, to me, captures that spirit so i really hope that this movie gets kind of the recognition it deserves because i i think it's a really brilliant movie so i dug it a lot i it's, it's it might still be in some theaters so if you if you live somewhere with the rep cinema not a bad idea to check it out although i will say i actually think it might be a movie that would work well just watching it like on your laptop in your dark room it's kind of made for that kind of viewing because mm -hmm. i watched in a theater and while i did enjoy it the first 20 minutes it's very quiet and like all i could hear was like people chomping away on their popcorn people coughing going to the bathroom the theater staff were like kind of closing all the doors and vacuuming and it was kind of a bit distracting so if you skip the theater and see it on on the big if you see on the small screen if you rent it not a bad idea if you want to support it so definitely check it out um two other ones i watched i watched uh this movie i believe it's a norwegian film actually called uh troll uh, on netflix and it's it's interesting it's kind of like a a fairly mid big budget like norwegian movie kind of like a norwegian take on like godzilla like the american 98 godzilla where it's like um <laughs> these explorers or like these people or these like um industry people are digging up they're building a highway through like the mountains and there's like environmental protesters claiming that you know you know stop the you know stop the devastation of environment and then there's also other figures there's like this woman's father who is like estranged from her it's a lot of like roland emmerich tropes of like 90s disaster cinema but it it's all to say that there's this fucking troll living in the mountains and then he gets out and chaos ensues but i was really blown away by the special effects of this movie i thought the um cgi was really well done like and it's not really that big of a budget either so i thought they got a really good bang for their buck um it's really kind of like a typical like if you liked well, you probably didn't like Godzilla 98, but if you like that kind of schlocky 90s, 2000s disaster movie, I, I think you'd actually like this. And I, it's kind of crazy because I don't think this got a theatrical release here. No, in, I think it was right, uh, to right to Netflix, wasn't it? Like if this movie came out in, in 2015 in North America, it would have made like $400 million. Like I, it's insane <laughs> that they did. this is what I was talking about. Like, I, it's insane that this movie didn't get any theatrical release because this movie would have made millions of dollars. They just punted free money but you know it's not my role i don't pay these executives so um I, I it was kind of funny though because this is a norwegian film and like i i couldn't help but think like if this was if this was made in america like the troll would have been taken out within 2.5 seconds by like tom cruise shooting a tomahawk missile at it like it's norwegian almost to a fault like the prime minister's kind of shitty in this movie like she's kind of useless and doesn't really do a lot and like the like the characters are all hemming and hawing and how they should deal with it. I'm like, if this was the United States, if someone popped out of the mountain ranges in Colorado, 
they would have fucking nuked it <laughs> within a minute. But so much of this film is like the, the kind of bureaucratic machinations of like, what should we do? You know, how should we handle this? And that part was kind of a little bit like tropey and kind of sucked. But I, I did, I did enjoy it. It kind of made me smile to that degree because I'm like, yo, bro, just like shoot a missile at it. Like, what's going on? Like, um, that part was kind of fun. But really, really good performances in it. I, I think they might actually make a sequel because it kind of ends on a, you know, it could could be a sequel. And I think the director said they are interested in revisiting it. So I wouldn't be shocked if there's a, a troll two sometime in the next few years. So I, I really dug it. I thought it was a pretty fun uh, kind of classic romp. And then the last one I watched a Korean film that I've been excited to check out for a while now called the wailing directed by uh, mm. Nam Hong Jin. Um, really interesting movie. Uh, not what I would expect it. It, it kind of takes place at this um, police it's officer. One. It's a long one too, isn't it? It's like two and a half hours. Yeah, it's, it's a fairly long film. This police officer um, comes across this crime scene with his unit. There's like this really disturbing murder, almost like murder thing going on where someone is killed and got butchered his whole family. And then the people who committed it are all acting really strange and wild. And um, this kind of weird sickness almost starts to spread. Like people who get like bitten get kind of like infected and it starts to kind of infect people. And, you know, the cop's own family, his his daughter also is starting to kind of show weird, strange phenomena and symptoms. And so the policeman in this is trying to kind of investigate and solve what's going on. But now that his daughter's being infected, potentially, and he starts to kind of understand who might be responsible, it kind of creates this really tumultuous, weird, transgressive police kind of relationship. And, you know, not unlike something like to me, reminded me a lot of like memories of murder of kind of it has this kind of Fincher uh, Zodiac memories of murder style police procedural investigation mode um, but then it also kind of has this darker mode genre genre mode and I kind of thought it was going to be like a zombie movie and I don't want to spell too much but it, it actually isn't and I, I was really struck by how like the last half hour of this movie was really disturbing and dark and I I really enjoyed it it was um yeah very long very at times very unpleasant to watch like you're you know watching a little girl go through like a exorcism screaming her guts <laughs> out for like 15 minutes kind of kind of you know there's a lot you i had to turn the volume down at times i was like all right I, my neighbors think i'm watching some fucked up stuff but um <laughs> i really thought it was really dark dis- disturbing i really loved uh the lead performance by a uh, kwak dong woo who played uh sorry kwak dong won who played a uh, jung jung Gu, who's like the police officer really great role where you know kind of you know he's kind of like a dick at times and he's not all there but he's someone who seems to be working really hard and um like the, 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 the rigor he goes through in this like emotionally was really really powerful i thought he did a really great job in this movie and i really loved kind of the main antagonist too i thought it was a really really interesting performance um yeah kind of a man- manifestation of evil type movie i really dug it i thought it was really really brilliant um and a, l- a little bit long but yeah definitely a little bit on the long side a little bit like it could have been trimmed down i think a little bit but i i, I thought it was really great and I guess, uh, yeah, so that takes us now. We're talking our John Carpenter kind of JC. roundup. So looking at our, and I'm going to pull up my list because I want to see where my rankings were. I want to see where it kind of compared uh, to my list of of where I fell um, on the rankings. Um, and some of, them, some of them are closer than others. So we watched, I think I have a list of 22 movies. Some of these are not actually theatrical releases. Some of these were like TV movies. So we counted them as well. This was all kind of based on what was on Letterboxd. So um, we also included a couple of like the Masters of Horror shows he did. We also included Body Bags, which was a originally supposed to be a show, but got released as a movie. So some of these kind of straddle line is like theatrical releases versus others. But nonetheless, we have our full list here. Starting off with 
Number 22, and this is also the lowest ranked on my list as well, too. A movie that we gave collectively one star. Oh, that movie's like terrible. Movie. Pro-Life. So Pro-Life, we did not like Pro-Life. Not really much, I don't think, to say to this movie. <laughs> Although, I think it's kind of interesting that this is sort of the Carpenter movie that I think the, has the, the rubber most, monster. <laughs> it has the most, like, cutting-edge material like the idea of like abortion movie like a horror abortion yeah. horror it's kind of interesting and it's fanaticism kind of yes yeah. and yeah it's kind of like a red state horror movie like there's been a few movies that have dabbled with like kind of red state america horror stuff like kevin smith's like red state I'm not saying it's a good movie but kind of really explicitly about that kind of horror but this movie we didn't like it all that much. There's not really much to say. I think we thought it was no. pretty shoddy. Pretty the performances. The, the, rubber, like the, the fact... rubber the rubber monster. Oh yeah. I did like the fact that like all the later Carpenter stuff, like after like like in Mem- um in the Mouth of Madness and onward, all of his movies were shot clearly like in mm. the GTA. So they all have that like Toronto green belt kind of look to them. So I kind of like that it's like it's very clearly <laughs> Ontario, like Southern Ontario, but um Well yeah, there was I that was... there was that I mean it was a pretty shitty movie, but there was a like Quite, it made me scream almost. The where they where he gives the abortion on the the abortion doctor, doctor. that that was pretty graphic. That, that was yeah. pretty good. gross. It kind of has scene. yeah. There's a part of it where it kind of has like a. I guess maybe that's the movie itself. It has like a little bit of like an assault riff on it, where it's mm-hmm. like the the bad guys are trying to break into the abortion clinic and like oh the abortion clinic they've got weapons and stuff so they're fighting back. It has a little bit of that uh, assault on precinct thirteen energy to it. And I appreciated it, but I kind of wish it was just that because everything else about the movie I was not into whatsoever. I found it a little yeah. degrading, but um, and the ending, yeah, the the, the monster wasn't uh, all that well done. But yeah, that... I guess for this is a TV movie though, so I mean, I think what he's doing with the medium, I think probably compared to some of the other masters of yeah. films, not not the worst, but we all gave it a one. This is definitely the worst of the movie that we did not like on the John Carpenter yeah. uh, list. Unfortunately, I would would not really recommend revisiting it. Um, the next one on the list, number 21, this is also actually, I ranked it a little bit higher on my list. Mm. Uh, it's mem- it's Memoirs of an Invisible Man. We gave it a 1.4. The uh, oh, that one Chevy Chase too. lead vehicle, the star maker for Chevy Chase. Um, if you didn't listen to our episode, this movie is about Chevy Chase is this kind of uh, man who he's kind of this typical like Chevy Chase, the uppie 80s character who uh, accidentally becomes invisible. He's kind of proximal to this incident. And he's trying to kind of avoid the CIA and the investigators while also trying to kind of cope with his new life. And it also co-stars Daryl Hannah as kind of a place's love interest. And we also have Sam Neill in a villain role. He'll actually revisit, he'll come back in another Carpenter movie, a much better movie. Um, Memoirs of Nizzleman, we did not like this movie whatsoever. And this movie's got some, I would say, moderately mixed reviews. I would say there's a lot of reviews that are a little bit more positive on it. But we definitely, I was definitely the most positive out of all of us. Not a movie I think we're that big on. Although I actually, because I'm trying to collect all the Carpenter stuff, I do have it now on Blu-ray. I saw it at uh, Sunrise Records, so I picked it up. Very excited to watch the Blu-ray uh, with, I'm sure, great features with Chevy Chase talking about how much he hates everyone or something of that. Else. But, uh, <laughs> Being yeah, an not, asshole. Not, a, not a, another movie that we just weren't really that into. I think one thing that that comes off, like this movie is terrible and Chevy Chase is pretty terrible, but I think one good thing that came out of this movie was that Sam Neill went on to do other projects that were arguably much better than yeah. this with John Carpenter. Because, I mean, Sam Neill just seems like a good guy to work with. <laughs> 
yeah he does uh the effects i thought were pretty cool like all the like invisible stuff they did was was pretty fun and cutting edge i'd say and i think there's there's some parts especially near the end where it's actually explicitly kind of riffing off the invisible man the story and movie which is obviously much better source material and i think kind of the disappointment going into this is you think it's going to be more like that kind of story um and it's not really i think even something like hollow man is a little bit closer to that story than this one is but i still like I, I wasn't that that against it, but would I say it's up there with the best of the Carpenter works? Definitely not. So that's that's number 21. Now we're moving in. The good thing with John Carpenter, though, is like looking at all the films we reviewed, we liked most of them. So when we get up up on the rankings, we're actually into movies we all thought were kind of like three-star movies, like movies we'd probably watch again if the circumstances were right. Uh, so the next one on the list, this was actually my second lowest of the, of the movies. This one is uh, Village of the Damned. Uh, Village of the Damned is, of course, his remake, the 90s remake of the classic uh, 1960 movie, I want to say. Yes, the Village of the Damned. There's also, of course, Children of the Damned, based on a, the novel as well, too. Uh, and by these, like, kind of creepy children um, who cause this kind of phenomena to happen, like time stops, and then everything, you know, all, all this stuff happens strangely after the events of this of this movie. And it sort of pits, like, the parents versus the children um, in the story. Um, a movie that this movie's got some weird shit to it. There's a whole sequence where like kids are blowing up tanks and soldiers are dying. Um, it definitely has like some of that Carpenter like action excess that you'd see with like Escape from LA, like kind of that like more action oriented mindset that he would go for. But we weren't really into this movie at all. We gave it a 1.4 overall. Um, I would say like I guess I I just I find like the original Village of the Dam to be a much slower paced grimmer uh the tension built in that movie the dread that you get is 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 there a lot more you can't help but divorce it from the fact that it came out during the atomic age mm. and there's that cold war anxiety the idea of you know this could happen to a, a british village where some nuclear disaster happens or something like there's that whole idea of like if you cross this line you'll die instantly and there's that whole aspect that's done really well in the original village of the damned it's a little bit cheesier and campier in this movie. Like it's definitely going for more of like a B movie aesthetic. Like mm. Carpenter is obviously a scholar and a fan of like Howard Hawks and a lot of like the B movie horror stuff. Like obviously the thing from another world is a huge influence to him. He was very much inspired by these movies and it's how he got into making films. But um, I don't think he really gets it well in this one. And man, Christopher Reeve in this movie was not very good. He was, he's okay at the ending of this movie, but I thought through most of it, he was like, kind of like, not very good. It was kind of plastic. Um, not one I'm like really that keen on revisiting, but I've heard I've heard some people say they really like this movie, so I might I might check it out again. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I do. I want to watch the original too. I, I I've added that to oh, my watch list too. Definitely, yeah. The, the original one is, is is really great. In the I keep thinking that Iron Maiden song too, <laughs> especially the opening. Like I'd say the '60s one, it opens like a much darker kind of opening. It like really opens like when shit's going down, and it's like, oh fuck! Like I can yeah. imagine watching it for the first time in the '60s. People would have been like, it's very like psychological and very like um, less paranormal than people would probably expect. Um, even though that's kind of what the material is more into, but yeah. Um, the next one on the list, uh, his most recent film to this date, one that I actually ranked this much higher. I had this, I think, 15th on my list, um, but we gave it a, a 2.21, which is The Ward, his uh, 2010 film uh, starring uh, Amber Heard as sort of the main role as Kristen, the young woman who's locked in this insane asylum, a psychiatric hospital, and then weird uh, dark phenomena starts to happen. She's sort of trying to kind of understand 
what's going on, what's causing this to happen. Could this be because of a former person who was killed at this hospital mm-hmm. who maybe is like haunting and there's this paranormal paranormal um angle to it. Really cool too, because this is more of like it's more of like a typical like psychiatric hospital horror, like a I guess Halloween too has a little bit of that, but stuff like uh, like Exorcist three, you get like a little bit more of like ho- uh, horror in hospitals is like a big big thing, and it was kind of fun to have a movie kind of really fixated and situated in this movie or in, in this kind of setting. But yeah, we we weren't that, that positive on it. I think uh, I was definitely more positive on it. I thought it was like a pretty decent romp. It's definitely like you could see some of Carpenter's touch to an extent, but it also at times feels like he's just kind of checked out. Like it feels like a little bit closer to like a lot of stuff that would have came out around the same time. It has a kind of post uh, dimension studios edge to it, where it has that kind of two thousands style to it, even though this is coming out in 2010, it feels like it's like coming out like seven years too late. Like it has a kind of same style to it, but I actually, I liked Amber Heard in it. I thought she was really good. And if the spoiler that the plot twist of the movie is actually fairly, um, um, fairly green. And I think kind of, um, I think the way she like, plays that role is actually really well done and um hard to divorce it from all the real life shit that's gone on obviously with her like yeah kind of surprised you, you that can't really you can't really unsee you know you can't look at johnny depp or amber Heard the same way again you know after the it's host, kind of it yeah it's kind of weird that like with all the like johnny depp amber Heard stuff that no one's gone back and watched this movie because i i revisited it obviously yeah. the podcast and there wasn't really that many recent well it's reviews, probably and i'm like probably, probably misogyny too they're just like oh i don't want yeah, to watch all the, the, the movies film like, yeah. fuck, fuck amber Heard. but like i'm surprised <laughs> that no one's really gone back and tried to reevaluate this movie not only because of that because this is the most recent carpenter movie to the state and there doesn't seem to be much effort to really engage with this movie whatsoever which i find kind of odd i'm surprised that no one's really kind of said let's take a look at this movie again and try to look at it from a different angle um it seems like this one just came out and it's been kind of cast to the wayside even while everything else that he's done is being reevaluated and, and re-released in you know 4k restorations there's no no one cares about this movie still to this day which i i find um i, I find a little bit odd and i think it's actually i mean it's better than the ones we just mentioned and i think it's um it's definitely like if you're looking for a more conventional kind of mid 2000s style horror it definitely fits that camp mm-hmm. and the next one on our list we have number 18 which is his first film his first theatrical release is more of like a slow yeah, it's like a, stu- student a, stu- a student project yeah yeah dark star we gave it a 2.67 which i think is probably pretty much bang on yeah. it's it's it, it's it does for... it does it does lay a lot of like blueprints for better things later on i think which is yeah you know. obviously dan o'bannon's alien which we're going to talk about almost in the next couple episodes uh this movie really is you, you get you don't get alien without this movie to an extent yeah um, and I, it's got a lot of fun humor to it like the premise is really fun it's kind of like a 2001 riff where these kind of travelers through space and their uh they, their whole mission is they actually like, they go to planets and, like blow them up and then they also come in contact with a strange alien that comes on board who's a beach ball <laughs> it's like a beach ball alien, <laughs> and, like starts causing havoc and uh, they also have this kind of AI device on the machine, which is kind of like this sentient robot. And it's kind of like that robot starts to kind of change and kind of um, push back against the mission. And it's got some fun genre stuff going on. I actually really enjoyed. I also remember getting a kick because there's a part where you see like in their um, kind of quarters and there's like walls that are like all blurred out. And it's like because it's like pornography they had on the walls, but they actually edited the movie so that like you see scenes where like you kind of see clips of them. 
And then it kind of, when you see the focus, it's like all blurred, like after like post-production blurred, it looks so weird, but I guess they didn't want this movie to come, like it would have gotten a much worse rating. So, but there's still moments where like, it's more of like looking at a different angle and that you still see it in the background. It's not blurred. So I thought that was kind of odd, but uh, really, really fun performances too. We got some really fun um, Roto Carpenter stuff. We have obviously Dan O'Bannon's playing a character in the movie. He plays uh pinback, but we also have a, uh, Nick Castle, who plays the alien and does like the alien voice in the movie. Uh, Nick Castle, of course, was the first iteration of uh, Michael Myers, the shape in, in Halloween. And uh, yeah, really, really fun performance. I think this was, you know, it feels like a student movie. It's very cheap. Um, but this is the beginning of Carpenter's origins. And actually, I got the Blu-ray of it. I actually want to check it out because there's some little kind of commentary and making up stuff, which would be kind of fun to hear about kind of the creative process of how they made this movie. I mean, for a student movie, like it's really impressive, I think, for its time, especially. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the next one, the list number 17, I think I had this ranked much higher on my rankings. I thought, yeah, this was number 10 on my list. Uh, we're talking Escape from L.A., 2.83. Snake, call me snake. <laughs> just to give, obviously, some of these movie ratings are a little bit mixed because some of these we reviewed with just you and me or me and Quinn. Some of these were mm. reviewed with guests, so the scores are going to be a little bit skewed, but they still kind of line up more or less the way they Yeah, I think it's us. pretty close, yeah. Escape from L.A., a movie that's very polarizing to some. Some people really don't like it, and especially like the CGI effects haven't aged all that well. I love the movie. I think the movie is rules. I think it's a blast. And Carpenter himself actually says that this is his favorite of the two compared mm. to New York. He actually thinks this is a better movie in every facet. I just I thought I totally this one was agree I, with, I, I but... thought this one was a lot messier. I mean, it has fun parts. Like I think yeah. uh, you know, with I was nice to see Steve Buscemi. I'm, I'm happy to see him and everything. And Big I mean, the con- roles, it's such a cool yeah. concept too. Like especially L.A. seems a lot more fun than New York, in my opinion. So I mean, like, yeah. yeah. It's more colorful. It's got some camp to it, like the Bruce Campbell playing like the crazy plastic surgeon. Like it's playing on a lot of like 90s L.A. tropes and it's got that vibe to it. Like it feels very vibrant, more colorful. Even though the dated CGI kind of makes it charming, like there's a whole green screen thing when he's like surfing with uh, uh, Henry Fonda and like the like high five and it looks so shoddy. But like. I think it's kind of intentional because like there's no way you watch it and think this looks good. It looks so campy. It looks so dumb. But I think that's kind of part of the charm to it. And I, I really dug the movie. I thought there was parts of it that were really fun. I really liked that Pam Greer playing the kind of trans uh, woman in the movie and kind of how that really was a kind of an interesting character. Although um, at the same time, I, I think probably the biggest knock against this movie is just that it really is kind of like a rehash of Escape from New York. Mm. And I, I would I want to revisit Escape from New York, but I I I think that's still a better movie. <laughs> I yeah. like it more than Escape from L.A. But mm. nonetheless, this is a movie that has had a lot of reappraisal. Like, there's a lot of people now who would rank Escape from L.A. really high, but um, nonetheless, is a little bit lower on our list. Number sixteen, the first of the Masters of Horror movies. This one was uh, Cigarette Burns. We gave it a three overall, and I had that also. That was number sixteen on my list. Uh, pretty pretty decent movie. I think out of the two, uh, Masters of Horror ones, Cigarette it's, it's much it's much better. Yeah, it's more like a Euro horror. It's got like this kind of mystery angle to it, and I thought the performances myself. I thought they sucked. Like Nor- Norman Reedus was terrible in this movie. I yeah, it's it very very dope. wooden performance. I thought it would. I was hoping it could go a bit darker too, just given the concept. I was hoping they go much darker with like the whole snuff film and everything too. But I mean, it was pretty. There were some twists and turns. It would have been good as like a. I feel like this would have been actually decent if they had actually given this more of like a theatrical release and like 
casted it better. I feel like it could have been a much better movie. Um, it really felt limited by the fact that it is like a TV movie. It's kind of short. Um, it's got some fun gore, but I did like Udo Kier though. He has a really kind of fun. Oh, he's great in everything, isn't it? Especially the Bul- ending. bulging I mean, eyes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like the ending is so gross with the intestines or whatever. It was pretty fun. Um, remind. It's kind of reminded me a lot of like In the Mouth of Madness. I guess it's kind of going for a similar style, kind of like a meta horror uh, affect, but. Yeah, that was that was a pretty fun one. Now, so now we're pretty much all into movies that are like three star and up. So we pretty much liked consensus wise. We liked them. So mm-hmm. the first one on the list, that's number uh, 15. Uh, another three star movie, Ghost of Mars. The late 90s John Carpenter, or I guess early 2000s John Carpenter action horror movie with the worst fucking dog shit editing of all time. Like this movie, the, pro- <laughs> really bad the biggest CGI. problem of this movie is that the editing is so terrible. Like if it had just been shot like a normal movie, it would have actually probably been pretty good. But every scene is just the, the, the cutting is terrible. It's all shot in like Toronto studio, size science channel, like space channel, like props and stuff. And it's, it's kind of hokey, but I found it honestly a little bit charming. I actually really kind of enjoyed it, but um and it's kind of got this kind of nihilism to it. It's, uh, but yeah, it's just, and everything is so overlit. Like every scene, it looks like they shot it in like a bathroom because mm-hmm. everything is just, you see every pore on everyone's face. And it really could, yeah. to me, um, yeah, I you usually don't say Carpenter is like a technically like bad director. Like I think even the movies that we don't like that much, even the cheaper stuff like Dark Star, he shows a technical prowess, a baseline technical prowess yeah. in most of his movies. And really, I think the biggest knock against his 90s movies, like more so, um, like Village of the Dam and onward is that you really get the sense that he was kind of just gave up. Like he didn't really stop giving, giving a shit. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just the fact that he didn't have the same crew around. Cause like, obviously in the eighties, you have the great Dean Cundy shooting his stuff. And you know, he, he did have his coterie of folks that he carried on through the nineties. But I do wonder if like, if this movie comes out in 1984, it's a fucking different movie. Like it looks differently. I think, you know, the staff around him, people are like, pushing back against stuff like i i just get the sense that he was kind of at this point he was the self-described master of master of horror and was kind of just doing his own thing and maybe not really caring so much to get certain shots correct and and some of this just looks really bad it's just kind of a de- definitely a technical letdown but i really enjoyed it it reminded me of like doom it has a like doom sciency space horror uh thing which i usually tend to love in a lot of movies so i did enjoy that and it had some good performances too in it some good casting um natasha henstridge in, in it and then ice cube as well has a great uh a great role ice desolation cube. williams yeah some really good performances but i remember when the movie came out this is like i think what post vampires it's one of those like movies that i remember coming out and be like this is a john carpenter joint and like as a kid, <laughs> i never saw this growing up but i remember there being a lot of hype for this movie and it definitely did not deliver in that regard so um that was number 15 number 14 um kind of his uh short series of vignettes this is 1993's uh body bags which actually is also co-directed with tobe hooper who did the uh, last sequence with uh, mark hamill um kind of a mixed bag um i didn't actually like john carpenter all that much in the kind of crypt keeper role he kind of he's not really like the best fit for it i mm. feel like um even though he's a master of horror he's kind of like a personality he's not like a most uh gregarious uh personality he's a little bit more mumbly he's a little bit more yeah. kind of uh even in his interviews he's kind of like uh i don't know he's a little bit sarcastic and dry than you'd think um, he doesn't really work for this movie, but I actually the for the best of these, I think three short films is actually the first one, which is the one that takes place in the gas station. That one's kind of fun. 
um you can also watch this i think on shutter and on a bunch of the streaming services it's fairly low budget it's got like kind of uh tales from the crypt style anthology horror vibe to it but pretty fun not bad um yeah i mean i think i think it's kind of a mixed bag i think like I would if if the I like the first segment and I think if they had all been like the first segment and I think you know like John Carpenter just wasn't really that funny <laughs> he's not the crypt keeper unfortunately you know yeah but it's pretty goopy too which is kind of fun. yeah um and yeah I liked I like the gas station the hair one was more like a, a funny one with like Stacy Keach with that goofy like alien hair actually the alien hair effects were kind of fun with the wiggly like snake hair that was <laughs> kind of cool I guess the Simpsons kind of did that with like. Uh, with the uh, the kind of child's play thing with like snake where he gets the hair homer gets the hair transplant and it's like a the killer hair so the simpsons did it as well too so everything has been trampled over by uh the simpsons clan uh so that was uh yeah that one i think where did i rank that one i think i ranked that um 17 so i was a bit lower on that one but we're now moving into the kind of higher upper echelon film so we're going number 13 get, get into the god tier get into the god yeah God's here. So we got to talk God's here. We're talking Elvis, the TV movie. I actually didn't mind this, but I thought it was way too fucking long. I got to rewatch it because I just, I, my attention span was really bad watching this movie, but the, an important movie. This is the first John Carpenter, Kurt Russell movie. Yeah, this was actually and, and one Kurt of the Russell, first really. Kurt Russell met yeah. Elvis too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. He uh, was, was a child actor on one of Elvis's films and actually has a scene where I think, uh, he kicks Elvis or is supposed to kick Elvis in the shins or something. So he actually had a, yeah, he had a role with Elvis, but, um, Kind of an interesting movie, too, because I think um, Kurt Russell was just coming out of kind of like Disney kind of shy, like kind of those family kind of movies. He was kind of the equivalent today of almost like a, a Zac Efron type of coming out of like the Disney machine and kind of like a clean cut boy and then gets into Elvis meets Carpenter. And this is kind of a, a star making movie for him because he actually gets some claim at the time for playing Elvis. This only came out, I think, like a year after Elvis is a year or two after Elvis's death. So this was still pretty recent material kind of funny to think that you know so much of this year has been focused on the Baz Luhrmann Luhrmann Elvis movie which has been giving a lot Mm. of re-attend you know attention to that film and even just in the last few weeks with uh obviously the Golden Globes and then Lisa after Lisa Lisa Marie passing away so there's been a lot of Elvis and Riley Riley uh, Keogh here's his granddaughter inherits the the estate I think doesn't she so uh, Barry Keogh who's in Banshees of Inisherin so you know the Elvis clan is still with us to this very are they are they related I thought they were different Actors. I think they're related. I think oh, yeah. uh, I thought they were. Maybe I'm oh. maybe I'm incorrect. Well, that's pretty me, cool if he is. <laughs> I thought I thought they were, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I think he's Irish. Oh, so is it just like a similar last name? Totally. I, th- I uh, think so. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, you could be mis. Yeah, I like that connection. I, I'm spreading misinformation on the internet. <laughs> How could you, John? <laughs> yeah, I guess the guy with the Irish accent probably isn't related to Elvis. But <laughs> it's a shame. They should just like. He should just join their family just to kind of <laughs> be part of that uh, Memphis money, I guess. But yeah, Elvis, I, I want to revisit it. I I did enjoy the music in it. And actually, I just picked up at like for a dollar at my local record store, uh, a record that's the original soundtrack music Ooh. to that movie with like, I, I found some of the songs were actually really good. So I, I was I listening to it. I listened to Elvis's gospel albums last year. That was really fun, too. And just so much oh, yeah. to enjoy with Elvis. <laughs> yeah, but we uh, yeah, we gave it a three out of five. It was 13th on my list. It's yeah, it's 13th on this list too. So pretty middle ground. I think like a movie that people don't really like think about because it it really doesn't feel like anything else in the Carpenter filmography. It's not even a horror. It's not even a genre film. It's more of like a Mm. biography, but it's, it's fun. It's cool. And you know, this was a period of time where Carpenter was like a workman for hire director, Mm. um, hadn't really made himself a star yet. So um, really fun movie. 
Uh, the next one, number 12. This was number 11 on my list. Another TV film, Someone's oh, I, Watching Me. I hated this movie. movie. <laughs> you did not. You fucking hated this movie. I, think you, you, I don't think you were on the episode. I think you left notes and you're like, this movie was boring. I stopped Yeah, it. I think so. <laughs> I think it's really fun. I think it's a really cool movie. I think it's actually a bit of like a proto-Halloween. The fact that this came out, I think, the same year as Halloween, it almost feels... Actually, reading about the supposed original draft of the sequel to Halloween was supposed to be about Michael Myers in an apartment building. And I can't help but think that this movie is what Halloween 2, the original draft, would have been which I think is interesting because I think this movie has some really good, it has that seventies TV production quality, but it the way it's shot is really fun. There's a lot of scenes where like, you know, the bad guy like cuts across a hallway and we're the ones seeing it, but the main character doesn't see it. And I really like Laura Hutton in it. I thought she was great. Adrian Barbo, you know, Carpenter's ex-wife, a uh, great, great actress. Um, she was really great as the like lesbian kind of co-worker who works at the news station and, Obviously, she has a much better role than his next film, but I thought she was really fun in this movie. Um, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a good kind of time, and the ending was kind of conventional. It's a TV movie, so it's really short, but I really thought this was my favorite of the two TV movies. I like this one more, um, but yeah, it, it, it's weird. If you watch Halloween around the same time watching this, you're kind of like, what's the point? It's definitely like not the most engaging in that regard. And uh, Lauren Hutton, it's almost like she's almost like Buffy, like she's constantly talking to herself and snarky. And I think that's kind of uh, pressing for the time, but it's also kind of distracting watching it. She's constantly like talking, narrating her life. And it's like, all right, I would be talking in my brain, like my internal monologue. I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to read the newspaper. Oh, I'm going to do this. It was it felt very like like a play or something like very stage play, like kind of watching it. So. Um, the next one on our list now, number uh, 11. This was number 12 on my list. So they were flipped. Uh, we're talking Christine um, John Carpenter's Stephen King adaptation a movie that I actually wasn't the biggest high on but I think it's a really yeah, great, it was, it was mean, okay yeah we're in we're in good territory this is a 3.25 movie we're in a territory where these are good good movies and I think especially the second half of this movie when the car is actually doing shit I think that's where it's really really shows its skill and um, really good practical effects too with the car getting all kind of the way they shoot the car getting destroyed and like re rebuilding itself it's all like a reversed shot of like the car just like uncrumpling some pretty fun effects there and the cast is so goofy like oh what's his uh, uh who plays the the dorky kid keith gordon as arnie he's such a fucking dork and he's like an asshole <laughs> and he's calling everyone what is he saying shitters he's like calling everyone shitters i'm like what's with the swear word shitter in this movie uh it's it has like i mean it's a carpenter movie but it really has that like stephen, stephen, king. stephen king slurs you know <laughs> yeah all of stephen king's kind of stuff they have that same kind of quality to it it's like middle small town when the america. blue fuck was that yeah like <laughs> small town america everyone's deeply fucked up and like traumatizing their children and it's yeah like they hit them the with whole... like a kill kill one child with a wrench and he like died in a car crash or something yeah. you know <laughs> the real horror in stephen king isn't the fact that there's a vampire or a scary dog it's the fact that yeah it's the human beats you and it's an alcoholic it's the humans yeah that's the thing in all of his stuff watch out for the humans um yeah pretty i mean christine that to me christine is almost like to me the like the the quintessential carpenter because i feel like that's whenever i think of carpenter for some reason i think of christine because maybe that was just a big uh like video store movie like christine was always like a rental you'd see it at rentals and stuff and that was one of the ones i saw when i was young was that i think that would have been one of the first carpenter movies i saw was probably christine um and probably was for a lot of others too so i've always been kind of really um interested in into that movie because of that kind of surprised there's never been like a christine remake i think we talked about that on the podcast mm -hmm. but there's never been an attempt to really revisit it i mean yeah 
which is interesting. And now, okay, so yeah, now we're in the top 10. So these are all banger, banger movies, classic movies. Can't go wrong with these. So um, number 10, I had the seventh on my list. A movie that people love, 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 love. Mm -hmm. It's Big Trouble in Little China. I really want to revisit this movie. I thought it was super fun. I had a great time watching it. It's very kind of hokey and shoddy, but yeah. it's, well, it's much different. You could see it's like the influence action movie. You could yeah. see the influence for like a lot of video games, like Mortal Kombat series. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't like it that much. It was kind of all over the place, but I mean, I could see why a lot of people are, are why it's kind of like a cult movie. I know Quinn's a big fan of it too. Yeah, it came out around the same time as well. I mean, it came out in the shadow of like Raiders, but I think you see a lot of modern action blockbuster kind of, you know, like, I mean, there's a little bit of like Orientalism in this movie, obviously, but it's really fun. And I think it has maybe the best Kurt Russell role or maybe his second best role after the thing. Like Kurt, Jack, Jack Burton is super fun. And the Port Shop Express has a great soundtrack. The soundtrack is incredible. Um, great title song, too. It's super fun. I, I really had a great time watching this. To me, if you're going to have a sleepover, maybe this should have been one of the questions. I'm actually going to add it right now. I'm going to pull an audible about. <laughs> I'm going to like, I'm going to rewrite that question or just explain what that question is all about I, I just put it in the notes but to me if i'm gonna have a sleepover if i'm gonna have a movie night with friends what carpenter movie am i putting on almost in certainly without asking is big trouble little china i feel like it's the most mm. widely appealing movie like it's got something for kind of everyone it's got a little bit of horror stuff too it's really funny it's it takes it, it takes itself not too seriously but it doesn't feel like it's also like being mean against the kind of tropes mm -hmm. of kung fu movies like it feels like it is being done in kind of a a decent loving way and i yeah i thought it was really good i'm not as high onto it as others are but big trouble little china 3.33 we gave it pretty good pretty pretty good scores all around yeah what's next uh we got so number nine yeah what are we at number nine this was my number five movie i actually think this is a masterpiece this is we gave it a 3.6 it's in the mouth of madness um this sam neil led joint about a uh, someone investigating a hack author horror kind of Stephen King guy Sutter Kane goes to this small town uh, to investigate strange phenomena. Very inspired by Wait, like, Lovecraftian uh, Lovecraft, and this has the this is one of the first early movies worked on by the uh, Nikitaro uh, Kirkman the NKB crew that did all the special animation effects. They also were the first movie they worked on was. Uh, in, intruder the grocery store movie so very great practical special effects in this one i have i this was i gave this five stars i thought this was a brilliant brilliant movie i thought it was super fun i love that it shot all in like rural ontario <laughs> like it's small it's outside of like toronto it's all small town ontario and actually um fun trivia because someone mentioned this in my review or they commented they say um uh Hayden Christensen, who plays Anakin Skywalker in the Star Wars prequels, he plays the little kid in this movie on the bike that he runs into after in the end of the movie. Um, yeah, really interesting movie. It kind of came out right before horror, right before Scream, which is kind of the year zero of like modern horror. Like it really was that last wave of like the, the early 90s was kind of like a, a ghetto for horror. There wasn't really a lot of good horror at least in in hollywood north america there wasn't a lot of really good notable horror stuff this is kind of one of the exceptions and then like this is a movie that's explicitly about kind of you know meta horror and kind of the idea of the greater the greater world of horror and like there's all this also the ending is a very meta kind of ending too of like re reliving the horrors in real life and the works of fiction manifesting itself in reality it's hard to think like this came out around the same time as like new nightmare and before scream so kind of interesting that carpenter was kind of 
working with kind of prescient material. I think I mentioned on my letterbox review, I'm like, if this came out in 2002, produced by Kevin Williamson, starring <laughs> Ethan Hawke, this would have made like $200 million. Like this movie would have been a massive hit, mm. but it really wasn't like that kind of movie for its time. And this movie was a big bust, um, but I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a really fun movie, really great performances too in it. Yeah. And uh, it's also part of his Apocalypse trilogy. So one of the three of those movies, which all ranked very highly on our list. We love we love those movies. We, I feel like Carpenter, I think I mentioned it before, but Carpenter has like two halves. He has like the the horror half of like the thing. And he has like the half that's more of like the Assault on Precinct 13, more like action kind of mm. real Bravo style genre. And then he has like the horror, the more ethereal stuff the more lovecraftian more like british horror influence stuff as well too that he kind of uh, draws from um so that's interesting to say that our next n- entry number eight which was actually i think number this was number six on my list mm-hmm. is a totally different movie this is Starman. um yeah that's like more with, like uh, kind of a uh you know like a romantic kind of film isn't it yeah starring karen allen and jeff bridges it's sort of like a i would call it like a it's like a road romance movie it's like it's a mm. romance movie it's a sci-fi movie but it's also like a bit of a road movie because most of it's them traveling across like America and stopping at various locations. Um, I really loved this movie. I thought the score was beautiful. Mm. I thought Karen Allen was electric in the movie and her her and um, Jeff Bridges' sort of um, relationship in the movie was really well done. Um, some really great scenes too. Like it's shot really well. The scene where they resurrect the deer and how he like brings it back to life is a really beautiful moment. Um, it's kind of hokey. Like the whole like you're going to have my child. Like that stuff was kind of hokey, but I really bought into this movie. I, I really thought it was a really beautiful movie. I like, I came out of the movie like in tears. I was like, I didn't expect really yeah, an I, emotional I, reaction I, like this to the, to a Carpenter movie. I was like, <laughs> I'm surprised he never thought to make another movie kind of like this. Cause I thought yeah, it it's kind of really interesting beautiful. to see him changing gears. I feel like a bit of a troll. I, I, I thought it was, I put me to sleep like twice. So I, I had to stop watching it, but I mean, I, I, I do like that. He's like, kind of changing gears and doing different things too. And I think that just yeah. shows how kind of, He's kind of like a renaissance man, you know? Yeah, but it's weird that he never made a movie like this again because it is yeah. like a really just genuinely good, heartfelt movie. A movie that you, if this came out today, it would it would get nominated for a picture. Like a movie like this now would get appreciated to that degree. And like, it's kind of interesting that this didn't really get um, that praise. And, and again, another movie, a, a rare movie that he didn't score. Jack Nietzsche did the score. Really good music in this. Like the title theme is really great. Um, so yeah, we gave it a 3.75. So we liked it for the most part. No, the next one on our list um one that so now we're getting really into like these are the best of the best movies so this was a 3.83 movie um this was i think number eight on my list so i I think i think out of the three of us i was a little bit more negative on but still liked Mm -hmm. it a lot prince of darkness i mean a really great movie about kind of this research team a little bit almost like the thing it's like this research team investigating this like mm. goopy green material and then there's traces of the thing everywhere <laughs> bad thing starts to happen what is this what is this material and it's sort of like taking over the the lab they're in and it's very it's very lovecraftian it's very cosmic it's very um metaphysical it's it's the ending it has one of the most interesting it has alex alice cooper in it (laughs) yeah it has alice cooper in it and i found it like to me like i found like some of the interior stuff a little bit hokey like it's a lot of like people going in rooms and getting stabbed it's kind of it's a little bit mundane but i really enjoyed um the overall movie the mood of the movie the ending like coming out of the movie it has some of the scariest moments of any carpenter movie the whole um the whole found footage part with like the dreams, the dreams being transmitted through time. 
back into the into the present. I thought that was such a really disturbing and interesting way of of doing it in that movie. It does some really interesting film stuff that I don't think Kiefer has really done with a lot. But um, another movie that for its time was really hated. And it now has been getting a lot of positive buzz. It, most recently, it's got like a 4K release on, on Blu-ray. So there's a lot of people now who really love this movie. So talking about it, how great it is. We're, we're just preaching to the choir here because a lot of people love this movie. But yeah, I I really I really thought it was a great movie. I think we were all pretty high on it. So Yeah. And then I think up next where we got, we're into the four level fours now too. So we got, they, in, they, live, this is the, they live, they live. Yeah. So next is they live. I love, this is, uh, I have this on my personal list. This is my, uh, of gum. <laughs> oh, did I not have this on my letterbox? You know what? I'm going to do that right now and see where it lands. Cause I just realized I didn't actually edit. I was wondering why I always had an odd number of movies. So I'm going to just plunk it on my list and see I'm, I'm speaking. We're doing this live on, on, on the pod. This is live radio. I'm going <laughs> to add this to my list and see where i would rank this so i'm gonna i'm gonna rank this up pretty high i would rank this as my number i to me this is a top four movie i think i love this i love i love this movie i think they live is there are there are times i watch this movie and this is my favorite carpenter movie like i i for me my list of rankings the, we're all in five-star territory now any of these movies depending on my mood could be my favorite um and they live I think I would say most times is actually my favorite Carpenter movie. I love They Live. It's his most radically political movie. The politics of Carpenter are very interesting. I, I think most people would kind of cl classify him as kind of like a a left, a left libertarian. Like he's sort of like broadly mm -hmm. left politically, but also yeah, distrustful like of the government. Anti <laughs> he's anti-Reagan, but he also just wants government to kind of leave him alone. He kind yeah. of doesn't like like authority from any less, less side. government intervention. And he just uh, wants to like wants... smoke weed and be left alone. He doesn't really have time for that. So I wouldn't really call him like a socialist, but he definitely has the kind of this movie is a very explicit like anti Reagan era, anti capitalist movie. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why this had such an enduring legacy is that it's such a it's such like an interesting film uh, to that regard. Actually, you know what? I would actually probably bump it up. This is my top three, I think. I would probably move this into my top three. Um, I, I'm just, I'm such a big fan of this movie. It's a movie that I remember watching as a child because my dad had it on tape. And I just remember being obsessed with this movie. Um, really great special effects works too. Like the whole, the way the movie, I, watching this, revisiting this movie, I forgot how like the first half of this movie is really just, it's, it's him as this kind of layabout, Roddy Roddy Piper, um interacting with all the kind of low lives of la and it's kind of looking at the lower classes and how we're getting this massive income inequality in la where we have you know big skyscrapers and celebrities and figures and we have people living on the margins of society and kind of like tent cities and i mean that's still to this day a big talking point of la is like the idea of this growing inequality not just in la but even in canadian cities like vancouver as well too there's a concern around that and nobody wants to really talk about what's causing it and it's a lot of it's based around just shaming people on on their conditions of life and i found that part of the movie actually really captivating of kind of showing the lower levels of society and realizing that you know from carpenter's perspective it's not just a matter of inequality it's a matter of this is an intentional thing being done by monsters and i think that's something that a lot of people in real life would believe from a different perspective but i thought it was great that whole the whole scene when he's in the the dining hall where they're like, Oh, our profits went up like 5% this year. <laughs> he has that speech with that guy who kind of betrays them. And he's like, well, you know, if you can't, it's sort of the idea of, you know, people trying to move up a class step who have to kind of step on those above them to kind of move up, you know, having that level of actualization, but just not caring because they realize <laughs> it's better to be comfortable in being oppressed than not. So there's like kind of angle to it too. 
Um, and I'm I personally I love the scene where she throws Roddy Piper out of the window when she's like he's in her house, and then she chucks him out the window and he smashes through the window and rolls down like the Hollywood Hill. I love that scene, and I I look up on YouTube and there's not literally a lot of like videos of it, but like to me that's one of my favorite scenes in any Carpenter movie. I think it's so crazy like the stunt itself is wild like just gets chucked out the window and like falls down this massive hill and like it's so fun and it, god there's some really great action obviously has one of the iconic fight scenes of all time uh between uh roddy roddy piper and keith david where he's uh they're they're punching each other that one's with parried a bunch where they're just having that mm. brawling fist to cuff fight it's really fun uh yeah so we gave we what did we give it we gave it a 4.17 so they live big fans of that movie we dig it Definitely. So what's uh, what's next on our list? What's our number five? Number five is The Fog. We're down to the top five oh. now. Yeah. 4.25 is the total score. Yeah, so I, I get this was my number 10 movie. I like The Fog. I'm not as high on it as others, but this is a movie that really ranks really highly. A lot of people who love Carpenter, I've, I've noticed especially because this movie, I think, just had its anniversary last year. So it had its, like I think, its 40th anniversary. So there's been a lot of fog, people watch The Fog. Definitely his coziest movie. Like, it's a horror movie, but it's like a campfire story. It opens with that John Houseman reading that campfire story to the kids. Kind of sets you up for the tone of the movie. It's it's kind of like a ghost story. It's got pirate pirate ghosts. It's paranormal. I, I actually thought it was a Stephen King adaptation because I thought it was like The Mist, like an earlier version, but I was wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, me too. I thought it was a King adaptation too for most of my life. I'm like, oh yeah, The Fog, it's based on the yeah. Stephen King story, but it's not really. It's a original work and... It's cozy. It's comfy. It takes place, you know, coming out of like Halloween, which is, I guess, Illinois by way of Pasadena. This one is like more coastal. Mm -hmm. It's filmed in, I think it was filmed actually the coastal England, but it's actually supposed to be like coastal, like Eastern US. It has that feel to it. Adrian Barbo is awesome as Stevie, the radio host. Um, and it's got perhaps I maybe second to escape from New York. It has the best Dean Cundy shots, the scene where she's going down the staircase and we have that beautiful, like 200 foot view of like the coast with the cliffs. And we see her kind of descending that like ant like staircase, probably the best shot in any Carpenter movie. I'd say like, I, when mm. I think of that shot, I'm just like, I'm like gape at how good it looks. Like the movie has so many great moments. It has one of his best scores. The score is amazing. Like, it's just yeah. it, it has such a great another movie to me like I would want to watch with friends because I think it's it's not a really dark gory movie and I mean a lot of Carpenter stuff isn't really like gory like that he's not like a gore guy but this movie it's definitely the coziest of his horror movies like not that many people actually die in this movie mm. it has like a low body count for most of his movies I'd say um, but I really we really dug, dug it we loved it a lot so. We mm -hmm. would say check it out. And one that gets a lot of releases in theaters. So I know this one gets released in like local indie rep cinemas a lot. So uh, depending on where you live, if you live in a big city with like a local indie rep cinema, good chance this movie will get a, a release in theaters again around the Halloween season or something like that. So if you happen to see it, check it out because would uh, definitely love to watch this on the, on the big screen. Yeah, that'd be fun to watch. <laughs> and so number this week, this one, we gave it a 4.33. It was our number fourth ranked movie. I have this is also now my number four movie because they moved. Uh, they live ahead of it. It's uh, and one that's actually getting a 4K restoration release next week. It's Assault on Precinct 13, Carpenter's uh, second movie. Uh, uh, it's it's pretty much just him doing like Rio Bravo. It's sort of like just a, him doing a, a remake, a modern remake of that kind of movie, but a really awesome siege movie. 
it, great score. It's got one of his best scores uh, with that, like, da, 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 da. it's very, like, <laughs> very bassy, very, um, and a great cast, too. Like, we have just, like, a very kind of small number of characters. You have, like, a, the police officer uh, played by it's Austin. Fu- it's, fu- it's full of ideas, isn't it? You know, there's yeah. just so much creativity into it. And the main character, actually, Austin Stoker, just passed away, I think, uh, just like a couple months ago. I think just in October he passed away. So he just died recently. Um, and we also have uh, we have like a criminal guy who gets out of it. Anyways, the story is just like there's a, the last night of this like precinct that's being shut down. And on the other side of town, there's these like hooligan, criminal hooligans who want to go to the police station. They're trying to kind of like um, attack the station. It's almost like we don't really even know why they're doing it. I guess it's kind of like a revenge angle against the police. And then we also have a a young woman and her friend, uh, played by uh, the main lady, played by Laurie Zimmer, who appears in the movie, um, who ends up kind of becoming one of the main characters. This kind of siege descends upon this uh, upon this police station, and crazy shit ensues. Very, um, yeah. very action, very pulsing. The movie isn't. I don't think the movie is also even very long. It's only a ninety minute movie. Yeah, it's, it's kind of pretty pretty very, it goes pretty quickly too it's pretty fast-paced very economical yeah for a 90 minute movie like you get it moves pretty pretty quick quite, quite shocking for its time too. shocking scene yeah, yeah the ice cream scene is a pretty brutal moment a movie that really like did well like this this really is the movie that actually made carpenter kind of a star i mean halloween obviously for sure but um this is the movie that when it came out i think it, it got a lot of uh, releases in europe like it got a, a big can release and when people saw this at can they were like, wow, who's John Carpenter? Like, this really is the movie that made him like a talk of like greater film circles. And mm. um, still to this day, I think it's just a really great, awesome action movie. It's just a really um, straight to the point, solid flick. Um, there's nothing really, um, I guess the only negative I might say about this movie is that I think to some degree, um, there are other Carpenter movies that I think maybe have a little bit more going on, a little bit more genre stuff happening, a little bit sexier, more exciting. I, I think that might appeal to people more but otherwise uh not not so much with this one i think it plays itself pretty straightforward as like a, a straightforward action movie mm. yeah that's good and, and then we're up to the top three now uh with halloween is uh our next pick the og halloween so where it all started the uh the yeah. og slasher 4.5 is overall 5, yeah yeah it's pretty good the most popular carpenter movie <laughs> for sure i mean this is this most critically or commercially popular movie um a movie that to this day is still getting regular theatrical releases with halloween ends just coming out a few months ago um very much a franchise that's still important we just did a whole mini watch series talking all the halloween sequels not all of them but we talked about the um most of the original 80s to 90s sequels um the one that started it all this is also kind of like the ur text for a lot of slasher movies with respect to like psycho and proto slashers this is the one that was explicitly the movie that really you know you don't get friday the 13th without halloween and you get like the entire wave of 80s through 90s slashers because of halloween and even related movies like something like um uh, a movie uh, that I just watched, uh, The Terminator, the, John, the James Cameron classic, mm. also a movie influenced by Halloween because the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator is basically the shape. So a movie that also had kind of a cross-genre inspiration to other genre films like science fiction and stuff that would also kind of take those horror slasher elements as well. Um, I mean, not much more to say about Halloween. We love it. It's very popular for a reason. We liked it as well, too. Great, great movie. I don't know. I think it's just <laughs> it's one I rewatch a lot. Like if I'm going to rewatch a movie for the Halloween season, I, I find myself coming back to this movie a lot. It's very watchable. Also not a very super long movie. 
Uh, the cast is excellent. Obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis, the Scream Queen, Donald Pleasance. Um, the way the story kind of builds itself and goes along is really creepy. Not a whole, again, a movie also doesn't have a very large body count that you'd expect. I mean, you go to Halloween to Halloween 2, and it's like five times the amount of kills, and they're much more gratuitous. <laughs> this one, it's very mundane, and I think that would probably surprise people watching this movie in that they kind of maybe go in expecting this to be a very bloody slasher movie, and it's it's not really that kind of movie. Yeah, it's more suspense and and you know it's it's quite shocking. I mean, even for its time too, you know, with the the kind of ending at you know where he's where the where the body go, you know, and that's become like such a uh, established trope by now. But I mean, at the time, it was quite shocking. You know, like where where do you go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's that's. I guess we could we could kind of move a bit quick. I think we're we're we're, we're almost getting to the end of an this hour and thing, a half. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. We'll go quick. So second number two, Escape from New York. This is my second movie as well, too. We gave it a 4.75. Fantastic movie. It's got the, it's the best looking Carpenter movie, in my opinion. Dean Cundy shoots the shit out of this movie. It looks well, maybe the second best. I don't know. This one and in the first one, which you'd probably guess are the best looking Carpenter movies. It's got my favorite Carpenter score. Um, Kurt Russell's the man. It's got my favorite, maybe my favorite lead performance. I think it's just an incredible movie. Um, great practical effects. It's action-packed. It's cross-genre. It's got a bit of horror. It's got um, a lot of stuff going on as genre stuff. It's super fun. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, what, no, what, number one? Number one? What's number one? To everyone's surprise, a movie when we started this, no one thought this was going to be the number one movie. You know, it's only the highest-ranked <laughs> movie of, on IMDb or on Letterboxd. It's The Thing. I mean, The Thing is great. The Thing, we gave it, overall, it also got a 4.75. It's one of the best horror movies ever made. We talked about how this movie for its time um, when it came out was a dud. It's one of the most famous reevaluated movies of all time because this movie, of course, famously was a commercial flop. It didn't do very well. Also wasn't a very critically lauded movie. Now it's well regarded as like one of the best movies of That's all time. It's it's great. And it has a great score. Edio Marconi does the score. Sounds great. It has like this very pulsing, tensing score. Also a story that builds itself up really well with dread and suspense you don't know everything that's going on right at the beginning. If you go into blind to the movie, it's also actually a little bit of a mystery. You're kind of like, why are these people trying to kill this dog? You're kind of like, what's going on? Are these the bad guys? And then right from there, we see kind of weird stuff start to happen. And then it all kind of like bubbles over, like hot, like a good chunk of way into the movie with like where shit really goes wild. And I mean, this is one of the best practical effects movies of all time. I mean, mm. the special effects in this thing are, are insane. The practical work that was done. I'm trying to remember the, uh, the gentleman who worked on the makeup, I think it was um, Rob, Bo Rob Botton did all the like practical effects. He's done some other stuff that I've seen as well, uh, but really, really great job in this movie. I think Rob Botton did like um, uh, some of the stuff he worked on legend, the uh, really Scott movie also worked on RoboCop, some other stuff as well too. So he's done some work like that, but Really, really great goopy effects. A movie, another movie that I saw way too young as a kid, and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like this movie to me is like <laughs> perhaps one of the scariest. Oh movies yeah, out there, uh, the, the scene with the kind of you know with the transformation scenes too is like holy shit, you know. And that that scene too, like where they're testing each other too, and you don't know who's like infected or who's not, you know. It has like an ensemble cast, and I mean, I mean, Kurt Russell's the star, really, but it does a really great job at like introducing us to this little ecosystem of characters. And we really connect with all the characters. Like we really have stakes in all of them. And so when a character is revealed as, you know, say being the bad guy, or it really like, you really shocked by it. And there's a scene later in the film where a character appears that you think is kind of gone. And like, 
even rewatching this movie, I kind of knew that was going to happen. And when it happened, I still was shocked by it. It like really got caught me off guard. And it has like one of the bleakest endings too. Um, mm. a, a total masterpiece movie, if there ever was one. I think this movie, I mean, I think everything in the top seven or eight that we have here are all like really great movies. And I think this movie's great as well too. I mean, overall, I guess kind of final thoughts is John Carpenter watch series, a great way to spend, I don't know, 17 hours of your time. Yeah. And I think any, any one of those top ones. five ones are, worth checking out at the very least too and it's just amazing to see the different things he's done in his filmography and i think we'll have a lot of fun too with this new ridley scott one too just diving in and finding all the treasures <laughs> yeah because i haven't seen a lot of his like lesser known stuff either like really scott like i haven't seen uh yeah well some some of them aren't really lesser known but i haven't seen near dark and that's like a really mm. i looked it up fun fact that that's movie a great movie a million dollars i'm like i could have fooled me i never knew yeah. that so very commercially popular movie, but I've never seen it. So I really want to. Oh, it's great. Excited to check yeah. out some of those. I guess maybe really quick, some questions I had. So which Carpenter movie surprised you the most? Uh, Which one surprised me the most? I would have to say, I'll think about that one. What about you? What do you think? I actually, you know what? I'm also just realizing, I think there's a movie that I didn't mention that we also did that should be on the list, which was uh, vampires, which Oh yeah, a movie we were very polarized. <laughs> your on. your your favorite movie? <laughs> yeah, a movie. I think where would that have fit in our list? I think it would have been more to the bottom of the list. I'll I'll just plug it in on on our notes here. Uh, but a movie that we just weren't really like that into. I think uh, yeah, it would have it would have so it actually this one would have been nineteenth on our list. It would have been we gave it a two point three three. So for for me, that's actually the movie that I would say I wasn't really that into. I I thought it was like really mean-spirited movie like i did what i did like though cheryl lee's in it i just watched twin peaks so i thought cheryl lee was actually pretty good in it playing a very similar character a woman who's just treated horribly for like two hours uh yeah <laughs> but i it, to me that movie surprised me in a bad way because that was the first carpenter movie i ever remember like that coming out i saw it with my dad when i was way too young in my head i always when i think carpenter like that was one of the first movies that i knew carpenter is like a movie guy from and yeah. coming back to it, I didn't like it all that much. I was like, man, it's mm. kind of a letdown. And it has some good elements to it, but it also feels like it kind of, you know, um, drops the bag on some of it. So mm. which so which movie do you think deserves a reevaluation? Which movie do you think people should revisit? I think uh, the, the trilogy is worth revisiting, too. I think, you know, In the Mouth of Madness um, and even Prince of Darkness, I think, I think they're worth revisiting because I think a lot of them kind of get issued in, in favor of a lot of... Uh, more famous ones too but even something like escape from la i think that's that that's worth watching again too i mean i don't i don't think it's a great movie but i mean it's a lot of fun you know and there's a lot to enjoy there it's kind of pulpy yeah i would say starman because i think people would just write that movie off it's like a romance mm. they might see it come up on like a list of like you know best romance i think you know a lot of, a lot i mean i it's a generalization but i feel like a lot of people would say carpenter makes movies that are very popular with tend to be very popular with men he makes a lot of movies like escape from new york you know action thrillers are tend to be generalized as being movies mostly appreciated by men and i feel like because of that if you're looking through his filmography you might think starman eh, not my kind of movie but i would say people should really revisit that movie because i think it's brilliant and it could have been mm. made by any director and i think people would be really into it so that would that'd be my pick uh this may be an easy one which movie would you like to see a sequel to sequel um actually you know i mean I, I had a lot of problems with body bags but i'd actually be kind of keen on kind of having him revisit that anthology series because he kind of did that oh, with yeah uh, masters of horror pick... yeah, he, yeah. Did, he did that with masters of horror and that was a mess but i mean like i mean i like the gas station episode and i, I think 
you know, he's still got some ideas in him. He just needs that passion back. What do you think? Well, I'll pick the easy answer. I'll say Escape from L.A. I think like that one is obviously. And, and the fact is that he has like there was, I know, a comic book, I think, adaptation of a sequel. But Carpenter has like been protective over that IP. I think you might have mentioned on one of the episodes where there was another similar movie made, a sci-fi movie where Carpenter actually sued them because it was very similar to a script he had written like the escape from Mars or whatever escape from earth movie. So he has been kind of protective over that IP oddly. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's kind of fun because he also, the movie, the, the video game metal gear solid is, and snake is very much a ripoff of escape from New York. And Carpenter mm-hmm. was in a position where he could have sued Hideo Kojima, but he actually said, you know what? I met him. He was kind of a nice guy. You know, the movie's fine. And like, that's kind of interesting that he was okay with that. It seems like more of it's a matter of who's the one adapting the material, who's using <laughs> it, and what are they doing with it? And Carpenter just loves video games. So I think he was more partial to that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, my next one is, do you think Carpenter has another movie in him? Or like, what do you think would you like to see him do, I guess? Uh, I do think so. I've heard talks that he was thinking of doing Godzilla of all things. I mean, I, yeah. think, I think it just shows that he has so many different interests and everything too. Um. It's hard to say, isn't it? Because I mean, yeah. there's such a gap between the ward and the movie that came before it, too, right? So yeah. I, I really don't know. I think you'd have to kind of just find something, but maybe you know he'll get some kind of you know nice accolades for Godzilla, and he'll want to do like some weird supernatural something. I don't know, like a passion project. Um, I, I, th- I, I think he's still got you know ideas in him too. He just needs that kind of spark. What do you think? I think there's a little bit of worry that like he'd come out with something again, like the war that people would just write off and say it sucks. And I don't know if maybe that's why he hasn't really done a new one since. I mean, obviously he doesn't really care to do one, but I wonder if deep down, if the war had been a much bigger critical hit, there's mm-hmm. no way in hell he wouldn't have made another movie. And I feel like there are a couple of avenues I think he could take. I think number one is he's obviously a big video game fan. If there was ever a chance to adapt something like Dead Space, I think he would be someone who would get linked to that movie. Whether yeah. he'd want to make it is another thing. But I, I think I'm surprised. Like I think now with Shudder doing such a good job with kind of like direct to streaming horrors and a lot of unique horrors, I think like that would be a really good avenue for him, would be to kind of make like a Masters of Horror kind of movie on like Shudder, something he could do really relatively easily, just scored by his son. I think that would be kind of a cool way for him to kind of um make a film or maybe that would be an avenue for him i would love to see him kind of get back into the kind of smaller genre movies stuff that's um using a lot of practical filmmaking techniques i'd love to see him kind of get back into that because that's where he's at his best um mm. would be there um what's your favorite john carpenter lead performance who's the one where you're like this is my favorite lead yeah um i got to say i really like sam neill uh so i mean obviously kurt russell is great in everything too but i i don't know there's something about sam neill i just feel sam neill's really approachable i i thought in the mouth of madness was a, was an okay movie but i just really like his performance in that one too i mean obviously kurt russell and and all the leads are great in the thing too but uh you know escape from new york but i i, I really like sam neill what do you think i yeah so i i, I want to say like kurt russell i mean i love kurt russell i that would normally be my my pick but i'll actually go a little bit different i'll go I'll go Adrian Barbo in The Fog. I thought her oh, yeah. role was awesome. Really interesting role. She's like a single mom. Really great gravitas. Like she's kind of the main character, but also like not really because it cuts between like her and like Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis. They have kind of like a B plot going on. There's also like uh, the, the townies have another thing going on. They all kind of kind of merge at the end of the movie. But I thought her performance in the movie was really captivating and interesting. And 
Um, her performance in all the Carpenter movies, even in Escape from New York, too, is also really good. So and it's funny because she was also married at the time with him. So it was a good wife guy move to put her in the star of his movie. So uh, I thought her good wife guy is one when I think <laughs> of like his lead characters. I actually really uh, tend to kind of think of that one more than others. Um, so this is I know one you suggested. What's your favorite, your fondest John Carpenter memory? My favorite John, John Carpenter memory. Um there's so many good ones. I, I have to say, going back to those transformation scenes, I really like those transformation scenes in The Thing, too. And I think uh, you know, the first time I didn't really appreciate appreciate The Thing as much as I would have liked. But I, a lot of the John Carpenter uh, films I used to rent from Invisible Cinema in Ottawa, which is this wonderful little, um, now Rest sadly closed, R.I.P. Yeah, so sad. I used to get a lot of the John Carpenter uh, films rented from that little uh, rental place and i used to just watch them from home and at night you know when my dad was asleep and uh i had a lot of fun so a lot of good memories there so that's probably my favorite john carpenter memory what about you uh yeah my favorite i would say like again the first carpenter movie i ever saw was vampires and i, I have a vivid memory as a kid watching it on tape with my dad god thinking about the, the material in that movie i was like i would have been like seven and i'm watching like strippers stripping but anyways that's that's all about my childhood you don't have to <laughs> audience you don't have to care about my childhood but um i vividly remember the vampires being like shot with like the device and being dragged out into the sun and that really struck me and then a little bit older i watched the thing and again the dog transformation scene was like the scariest thing i ever saw mm. up to that date as a child like that was the scariest thing probably that moment and then years later seeing the ring those were the two like really big and also the tar man from return of the living dead okay i'm now i'm seeing a bunch of scenes but like <laughs> moments that as a kid that really stuck with me and really terrified me and i remember those being big big moments that really scared me and kind of built up the myth in my little kid brain of like oh carpenter's this like horror maestro who can do anything and i mean he is sort of like a, <laughs> a renaissance director in that regard so last question i have let's pick three movies what if you, you're gonna have a sleepover with your friends? It could be your significant other, could be your pals. Mm-hmm. What are your What are your three Carpenter movies you're picking for your sleepover? Um, I would pick The Thing, Escape from New York. It's pretty generic, I guess. Uh, top five or top three? Let's do uh, three. You have to pick three. Three, movies. okay. Like three movies uh, the Thing, Escape from New York, and I I do something different. So maybe Assault on Precinct Thirteen, because not all people have seen that one. Uh, what about you? Oh man, that's a good one. Uh, now I'm like, okay, I gotta think a little bit. I won't take too long because it's dead radio. But okay, let me think. So, uh, I should have thought about this question more before I, <laughs> I picked it. I was like, I was so Oops. excited for it. I'm like, let's go. Okay, I, I you know, I, I got a list. Okay, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. The fog. I think it's a cozy. It's a horror movie. It's comfy. It's. I think it's a really kind of chill movie to kind of get people into it. If you're like too squeamish, I think it's kind of a good one there. I would also say Big Trouble Little China. It's fun. It's it's genre. It's quirky. It's funny. It's silly. Got some action going on. And then I would probably say, I'd say Prince of Darkness because it's a little bit more darker, ethereal. I Maybe the thing would be good in that regard too. But I think Prince of Darkness is also a kind of really good one. It's mm. very creepy, very shocking. It's a movie you got to have a little bit more, pay more attention to as well too. So you got to focus more. Um, so I think that would that would definitely be my three movie lineup. But yeah, so that's we're we're done, Carpenter. We've done everything. Unless he makes a new movie between now and future, we'll never talk about him again. Well, that's not back, true. We'll, back to we'll the Carpenter. <laughs> um, but yeah, doing this was a lot of fun. Um, a really great director. I mean, we don't have to tell you because if you if you pay any attention to film circles on Twitter or Letterboxd or wherever, John Carpenter is gets a lot of attention. He just had his birthday last this month. It was his seventy fifth birthday, I believe. So he got a lot of buzz. Um, and he's still active, like he's doing the scores for movies. Him and his son did the score for the Firestarter remake, so he's still actively in the film world. Um, and he's now kind of this elder statesman of horror. Like he's 
he's still with us. A lot of these guys are are on the wayside, like uh, George Romero's long gone. Well, not mm. long, but five years gone. And we still yeah. have folks like Dario Argento, but a lot of these guys are now, and Wes Craven is, of course, gone yeah. as well, too. Uh, Ruggiero Deodato died recently, too. Just so, recently, and, yeah. and Toby Hooper as well, a few years ago, died as well, too. So a lot of these guys yeah. are, are disappearing, and Carpenter is now one of the last living links to kind of the, the 70s genre era. Yeah, he's really one of the last ones. And, you know, seeing, I, I didn't see the movie, but I know Argento just did Dark Glasses, which actually got good reviews. Mm. Seeing that kind of made me hopeful that maybe Carpenter would kind of want to make another movie. No one should feel obligated to make a movie, obviously, that just results in bad art. But I would love, I hope that he still has some creative stuff in him. I mean, regardless, as it stands now, great filmography. When you have like, 15 movies that you could reasonably give like three out of five stars. That's like a, that's better than most people. Most people don't even have that many movies in their career. So that's, what's also really fascinating about Carpenter is the fact that he did so many movies like back to back to back, like from 1977 onward for basically like a nine year stretch every year was like a new movie. And they're all like classics. Most of them are classics and you never see that anymore. No one does movies like that anymore. You're not seeing Ari Aster do like, a movie every single year they're like four or five years stretched out so yeah that's impressive there's big, too there's a big gap between them yeah but i think uh yeah Ari Aster's new one will be interesting too to see when it comes yeah. out <laughs> so i guess that that wraps things up this was a long one i didn't expect that we'd be chatting that long i thought this would be like a, <laughs> we're just having too much too fun <laughs> i thought we were yeah because i know you're saying are we gonna have enough to talk about and i was like probably yeah but i, I honestly thought maybe it was just you and me it would be pretty short but uh, we rambled for like a fucking hour and a bit i think so we, <laughs> We did. Uh, we did good. So, um, what's what's up uh, next week, Curtis? Uh, next week we have uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom with uh, the Dory. Yeah, my buddy so, Dory uh, from yeah. Best Only. He's coming on. He's excited to come on. So well, I'll, I'll, I won't one. be here next week, but you'll get a Quint back. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll leave some notes and uh, we'll have we'll lots of fun. Yeah. You'll you'll be passing the baton over. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we're gonna be talking Temple of Doom. Very excited. So folks, check that one out. Just revisit that one if you want. Um, we're also uh, also Valentine's Day is coming up soon. We're gonna be doing a special topic topping talking our favorite romantic comedies. Are we going to talk about every single romantic comedy ever made? Obviously not. I already looked at my list. I'm like, oh, I could have put this one. I could have put that one. But we're going to do a short list of our favorites and talk about them. And uh, that'll be coming up in time for the romantic season. And then next Ridley Scott movie, we're talking Alien. So folks, watch Alien. We're going to be talking about that one soon. And excited again to, to kind of get more into that. We just did the do list. That was fun. Um, very excited for a lot of the lesser known uh, really Scott films, which I haven't seen. Uh, I'm excited to check those out. And of course, all the big ones like uh, Gladiator as well will be fun to talk about. And a guy is still making movies. So I think by the time we finish that watch series, we might get to Napoleon. When is that coming out? It's supposed to come out like next year. I don't know if we're. I think so. Yeah. Out, but we might actually like get to the finishing the series and that movie might drop. So we might be able to talk about that right when it drops. That'll be kind of fun. Um to do so that's what's coming up soon and again as we always say if you have any recommendations you want to come on the podcast you just want to recommend stuff give us some commentary uh seats uh, sorry seatstruck podcast at gmail.com is our email uh social media seatstruck uh, that's quinn's account you can also just you know us personally just send us a pm mm-hmm. i got my letterbox in the in the curtis got his email in the notes or his, or his website in the notes so you can there's many ways to reach us you can send us a letter <laughs> 
get a <laughs> snail mail, pigeon, snail mail, snail mail, snail mail. Yeah, knock on my door. Well, probably Owl mail. Not, I prefer you don't, but uh, <laughs> knock on my door if it's only to get praise. If it's to give criticism, <laughs> negative criticism, do not knock on my door. You don't want to hear this it. Is a, no, no far right. Is, no, 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 yeah, yeah. no, 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 no,